Option back here after a loaded weekend of football, and we have a unique pairing today. One that we don't we don't do as often because Scotty, honestly, like Scotty's such a committed guy, and he loves being able to you know be on the pod every single week. Scotty had a long weekend. We'll get into that a little bit. But our our world traveler, the busiest man in engineering and construction. And uh, a, a committed, a no question, uh, host of the podcast, but we just know he's a busy guy. Brian Sanvito, we have a Gimple and Sanvito pairing today on the read option to recap week one, talk some college football, uh, and do a whole bunch more. How you doing, bud? Good, man. Good. I know it's a little bro out sesh, just me and you, just that one on one, you know. Oh, yeah. I- it's good to have. It's good to throw in there once in a while. Um, it gets no, off great. the rails. Yeah. When it's yeah. you and me, like it always, it always gets off the rails. It's always a little like it's, it's different. And I like when I have opportunities to do it with you. I like when I can do it one-on-one with Scotty. I like when we have all three together because it's all three are different kind of dynamics. So we can keep it a little fresh, but it's all under the same umbrella. So, you know, exactly. it's, it's like, I like an IPA, but sometimes I like a double IPA or sometimes I like yeah, a hazy right. IPA. Right. But we're all under yeah. the IPA umbrella. So. Uh, how was your Breaking weekend one right now? Yeah. Oh, boy. My weekend, dude, incredible. You had a special weekend. Yeah. Rolled to, uh, rolled to state college. Um, you know, tailgated, uh, stayed at, at the Harmons, the beautiful family that they are. I, I crashed them, uh, wake up early. We get in the tailgate lots at eight o'clock when they open, set up the place. Um, and just went all day, went around, probably hit five or six different tailgates for like hours at a piece. That's what's nice about, nice about the night game, right? It's like you get a lot of time and especially not being both like at a football event and just like back to Penn state mm. um, and seeing all these people in two years because of COVID. So this was the first time I've seen like a lot of people in two years. So it was great to go see them, um, see their families, you know, uh, see what's going on in everyone's lives. And then, going to an amazing game, an amazing game at the whiteout at Penn state. Uh, I lost my voice. I was jumping. Um, it was, it was so fun to be back. I'm so proud of everybody that was there. Um, and I'm just proud of the team. I'm proud of this coaching staff. Like I'm just a proud Penn state member right now. And, um, man, I then I then wake up early uh, headed to Columbus or headed to Cleveland and, uh, catch red zone, man. And got to say like, it was a pretty good slate Sunday too. How was, uh, tell me a little bit more what your weekend. So I have to confess something to you, Vita, as many of the people on this pod know, as well as my family and friends and, and sister in particular, I, I enjoy, I enjoy being the heel to Penn state. All right. It's, it's, it is one of the most fun fan bases to piss off. It just, I grew it, up around USC fans and I think I get it. Like, yeah. if, you know what I mean? Especially, like, I think like, I understand. Yeah. Like liking, you know, Penn state and you in a town like that, like, and, and in that, in the era that you were, you know, you were young and running around developing your love of football, watching Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush, like just like myself. Right. Like, but I enjoy being the heel. It, it's fun for me. So this weekend I had an invite from our buddy Scotty to come up spend the weekend out at his place with his lovely wife's song. He was going to smoke a brisket, 
Uh, he was going to make a ton of food and he wanted, he wanted to watch the Auburn Penn state game. And then of course hit Eagles Niners on Sunday. I dressed in all white with blue Navy blue shorts, but all white button down white hat. I rooted for Penn state, not just ironically, not just because I felt like I, I, I did go. it genuinely. I did it genuinely. And uh, we were on, you know, FaceTime and Zoom and, and some things with some of our friends and and everyone who I know, our, our buddy James. Yeah, James, we, were, we were talking with James after the Penn State game. And I and I told him this. I showed him the outfit and he just goes, he goes, dude, we're turning you slowly, but surely we're tur- we're turning you. Into it. And I said, I don't know if you're ever going to do that, man. He said, no, it's going to happen. It's never going to happen, James. I'm sorry, but I don't know. Hoss- James. The hospital, when you have so many people in your life who you love and who you want to see happy, I had no dog in the fight. And uh, and that's the way I am for a lot of college football. So I, I was I was more than happy to root for it. Uh, the smoked brisket might have played a role into, you know, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be denied my share of the brisket uh, that Scotty did. Unbelievable job, by the way. He was very hard on himself. He's like, ah, oh, it's a little too dry. I was like, Scotty, this thing is unbelievable. We sent it to our buddy Jeff Martz, who literally like, cooks and, and like works on a farm, like a family owned farm, slaughters meat, does the whole thing. Like that dude knows how to smoke a brisket. And he was like drooling on the pictures and stuff over FaceTime. Uh, so no, it was, I had an awesome weekend, hung oh, out yeah. all day on Saturday, watched, I think in total from what, tw- from noon until about 2 AM on, on Saturday, watched all college football. And then from 1 PM until the ending of our Sunday night game, was locked in so y- y'all can do the math on that but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 hours <laughs> like 20 hours of football and i loved every second of it minus the you know three hours of the eagles uh were all on the field but i was really happy to see what your boys said they looked great it was a really good game uh with the exception of the refs <laughs> forgetting and kind of screwing up, you know, how many downs, which, yeah. you know, I get the refs have a lot of obscure rules that they need to remember. That's like top five rules. When you're explaining someone to football, it's you get four tries to go this many yards. And then if you don't, then the other team gets the ball. That's like rule number one. Yeah. So when you're dude, explaining I ha- football, I had like an unreal moment when this happened. So for those of you who don't know, we're, I mean, you should by now at the Penn State game at night. There was a, it was first down. Uh, we started the drive with two runs. We got a first down. We start off with the throw. Um, and it was, it was intentional grounding um, where he rolled out, uh, but like they're kind of not enough and didn't get the ball uh, near anybody. And like we got called for intentional grounding. They had already switched the marker from one to two. Then they huddled up to talk about was it grounding? Was it not? Which a lot of times they do. Then they look over and say, lost it down, like move it again. And they do. And I was just sitting there like, no way. And then they called fourth down after one more play. And I was like, this is third down. This is third and down. I'm like screaming at, like at everybody. And yeah, you know, people have been tailgating all day. It's a little bit slower of a crowd and, and everything. And, and uh, when you're drunk, it's with, very easy to miss a down or be like, yeah, I thought we had another down. Maybe I was just a little too drunk or, or I just was having conversation, miss something. Yeah. But I, and I don't have conversation. Like I, I'm dialed in. So I knew I was like, something's up. So I start like yelling at everybody. I'm like, is this crazy? And someone's like trying to explain to me the rule. Like, no, there's the loss of down. Cause and I'm like, no, 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 dude. Like I, I know what I'm talking about here. It's third down and I'm freaking out. And then I'm like, man, am I that 
fan that thinks he's right, but I'm wrong. And yeah. I'm, and I was like, sort of second guess myself. And then some, this lady, she's a sweetheart. She's like, um, she's gotta be, you know, she's up there in age. She's been going to these games forever and she had her headphones on. She's always sits there and she listens to the radio and she's like, that should have been a third down. Like, See, thank you. And I'm like, like this, this lady saved my sanity for the rest of the game, but thankfully it didn't affect the game, but I'd never seen anything like that where they got it wrong. And like, everything's on tape. Everything's on video. That's not a call you should get wrong is missing no. the amount of downs. And the but fact that it's, luckily it's, not we still re- got the win. it's not reviewable. Like it's not something that you can, you know, and it's funny. Cause like, if you look at the ESPN, like the play by play on, on the, on the website where it shows you like each individual series and like kind of how, how it went down, it said yeah. like pun it on third and 10, which is just like heart, like heartbreaking to see. Cause it's like, Oh, but it's not your fault. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to ask you about the the whiteout environment because for for my money I've never been uh, but I, again I I work with people who have been to every environment and every game and it always gets mentioned as one of the most elite in, especially individual games because it usually only happens like once a year mm-hmm. it, it's always talked about as one of the elite games like Auburn Alabama at, at Death Valley or sorry, uh, LSU and Alabama, and Alabama at Death Valley, right, in LSU Stadium. Uh, same thing with, with the Iron Bowl, e- either way. Like, individual games are games you just have to go, the Rose Bowl every year. To As someone who's experienced it and obviously is biased, I'm not going to ask you which one do you think is the best because you <laughs> haven't been to all of them, but also because no. your bias is going to be out, out of the wire. But try to paint a picture to some extent as to – you had amazing seats. You're sitting like 50 yard line, yeah, like, what, what, like 40, 50 yards off the, off the field. I mean, like you, yeah, you it was close. It was so, so the, what is that like you, though? Like, like when you're, when you're in that environment and you can feel, and the synchronization of the pom poms and, and everything else there, it, it's, it's a production, but it's a production with 107,000 people. Yeah. hundred, almost 110, 109 that night. But yeah, they, um, so here, here's my experience. And, and those of you who don't know, I went to Penn state. Uh, I was in charge of Nittanyville for a year there, uh, was a part of it for four and like, was very proud, sat in the front row for four years. Um, and like was absolutely crazy about Penn state football. So I've been a part of whiteouts for a while. Um, I've been to a lot of them and it's really special leading up to it. Cause usually it's the best game. Usually it's a night game. And what's crazy about a whiteout is everyone has white. When other schools try and do a blackout or anything, all the other color pops. When it's a whiteout, it just, no matter what's up, it looks white. Accents of blue don't really show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's something incredible when you see, like, the entire stadium is white. And a lot of people don't realize, too, you, you, we're wearing blue as, as the home team. The opponents, you look up, it's all white. Your players are in their white uniforms and have probably have white helmets, and it's all white. It's kind of crazy on the mind. I always think there's something I, there. I with said it. that to Scott when the game, but why is that? Why do why do you guys wear white when they're wearing blue? Is 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 there any is there any history to that in particular? No, but why I love it is like it probably makes them. It's so easy to see where their players are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it's just so hard when everything's white around you and your your team's wearing white. So I, I don't know. I, hmm. I I love that aspect, but. Um, I know everyone wants us to wear white. I'm like, I actually like this, but for the environment side, I mean, it's one of those things where no matter what you're doing in a game and any college game, when it's big, everyone gets in earlier, but whiteouts are especially early. Like you'll see an hour before you're set, like you're over 75% fill probably. And everyone's getting jammed. Hmm. And 
it's it's just a combination of a great game, a passionate fan base, and two years of COVID that added to last night. I was at the whiteout, the last whiteout, the Michigan game. I was yeah. there. This was something very, very special. And seeing it from where I did, usually, like I said, it was in the student section, or I've been in a couple of different spots, but from this spot, you're kind of in between and just you're almost in the center of it. And it's almost like um, some kind of epiphany of all of these people coming together to like will their team to victory. Like you feel it on third down. And I know a lot of places probably have the same thing, but it's to the, I don't think there's a tier above it. People yeah. might be on our level, but I really don't think. Um, and I, I, I like would love to go to all of those different games. I've been to a few special ones, but I've never seen anything that's a tier above that. How many, how many whiteouts have you, have you been to? Probably. So once eight. Wow. Eight whiteouts. Yeah. So you have a good and, sample size. And, and the thing yeah. is, is like, I, again, I don't know if it's the year off of not having fans and then seeing everyone there and, and COVID aside, because there is a part of me that still is, is torn, right? Like seeing some of it. And, and again, like I, I get it. I'm happy to see fans back. I'm happy to see environments like that back. So all of that aside, I was mesmerized. I, I genuinely was. I sat there watching this, and it, it was one of those games where the camera shakes a little bit, you know, in certain plays, where, you know, when you turn to your buddy and you go like, wow, it's, it's, it's loud. You know, like you can, when you can feel it through the TV, it, it's almost like a different level, but it also gives you zero appreciation for what it's actually like to be there. So to hear that is, is awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to go and, and yeah. we got a firsthand account of this because the whiteout, it, it was, it was the, it was the main story of college football and it absolutely, I mean, and Brian Harson and I was talking about this today a little bit, Brian Harson first time, first year head coach at Auburn. You know, he coached at, at Boise State, which is an awesome venue, blue field, beautiful backdrop, yeah. all that stuff. That's nothing like what a whiteout is. The players have been playing in the SEC for the, you know, for some of them for multiple years. They've played in big games. Bo Nix opened the season with a Hail Mary win against Oregon as a true freshman at the, uh, I, I think it was in the, um, the uh, in New Orleans where the, the Saints play, um, oh. Mercedes-Benz Dome. Like, yeah. like, so those guys have played in mega environments and to see it even affect the players, like they felt more prepared for it even than Brian Harson did. And I think Brian Harson did a good job. I thought Auburn mm -hmm. played a really good game, even given all the circumstances. Uh, I just, I thought it was the, the biggest takeaway from the college football weekend was the whiteout. And we had Matt McGloin on our show today and in talking to him a little bit on the phone, you know, he was just, he was so as an alum, as a guy who's played in whiteouts has been there and kind of been through it. He, he kind of said, said some of the same sentiment that you did, which is just that it just felt and looked just different. And uh, it, it's part of the magic and, and beauty of college football. Um, yeah. Other quick college football things though, Alabama holds on against a tight win against uh, Florida. We saw Ohio state almost, you know, kind of lose Notre Dame looks a little shaky. There's, the usual suspects, Clemson almost loses to Georgia Tech after a rain delay. Uh, the usual suspects may not feel so usual. So we'll get into that conversation on Thursday's pod because we were planning it out beforehand. And it just seemed like it's a great conversation to have inspired by uh, my brother-in-law there, Kenny. Uh, quick break. We're going to come back. We are going to run through week two in the NFL 
Uh, not going to hit every game, but that that four o'clock window and on seemed to just kind of be insanity. The Thursday night game was wild, and uh, our, our two squads had very different days. We'll get into all that here uh, after a quick break. Week two, I don't want to say in the books anymore because everybody. I've heard so many people say that recently on podcasts. I need a new. I need a new phrase. We got to workshop a new phrase. Like yeah, because you're right. I have heard that a lot. We got to stop. Yeah. You know, like in in the racks, in the rafters. Week two it's, is in the rafters. It's it's shelved. It's done. It's done. Put it in a coffin. Yeah. Week two, dead. <laughs> Grind it up and thrown in the coffee pot. It's over. Um, I love it. And now it's time to drink it in. So oh, like that, that might be good. Grind it up, throw in the coffee pot, and it's time to drink it in. Because that's what we're doing right now. We're drinking in week yeah, we two. We're, we're, you do all the work. Do you ever hand grind coffee beans, by the way? No, no. I dated a girl who she had a French press and no mm-hmm. like uh, no Keurig or anything. So we would do like, or, you know, do like weekend coffee or whatever in the morning and like listen to music or whatever. And for, I love French press coffee. But the problem was is she didn't have an electric grinder. She had a, like a handheld grinder that you would screw on top of like a mason jar. And so you would pour coffee beans in and like grind it up and you'd put all of this work in hand grinding this thing and you it would just like you'd get like little bits and you do it for like 20 minutes until you got enough to like make a whole cup of, of coffee or a whole french press worth but then what you did you just you enjoyed it so much better <laughs> like it was like it. i worked for it and so that's kind of how i feel about right now i feel like i've worked for i went through all this weekend working drinking eating terrible food for me just to be able to sit here on the pod and, and talk ball, which is like one of the best things. So uh, we're having our, we're having our coffee now. Uh, Thursday night football was a crazy game. I apologize firsthand for any of the giants fans, even though I'm really not sorry because I don't like the giants, but that offsides call, I saw a slowed down version of it, like where they zoomed in on the slow-mo and I don't think he jumped. I think he timed the snap as perfectly as I think I've seen someone time a snap. And unfortunately he just did it better than everybody else. And so the flag came out, but that game was crazy. Washington did definitely did not deserve to win that game, but it was also, it felt like a crazy, you know, all of the prime time games, except for the the Rams bears game have been like these ins- insane games. And it got continued last night with the Ravens and the chiefs. But that, that was a great Thursday night game. This week's is not going to be anywhere near as uh, enticing. We have the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers. So not, not quite what we saw, not an NFC champion, you know, NFC East battle. But uh, it was a crazy Thursday night game, which set us up for a really, really interesting weekend of, of NFL football. I think going into it, that first slate in the afternoon, there was kind of some hope that you see a few games there. Maybe Niners Eagles could turn into something Rams Colts. I don't think people are, I mean, bills, dolphins, you know, are the bills kind of shaky still no games that really like grab your attention. were like this week, one slate is going to be amazing until you hit the Sunday, uh, you know, Sunday night games and some of the later ones. And that's kind of what we got. Right. So, mm-hmm. bear, you know, bears bangles is I guess the first, a good one to kind of start with because it was a weird game, and ultimately Joe Burrow throws three picks on three straight passes, which is a really yeah. difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put the blame on all of them. 
And then we saw a little bit of Justin Fields, right? Andy Dalton gets a little banged up. We see Justin mm-hmm. Fields come in. Uh, the, the Bears doubled down today and said, as long as Andy Dalton is healthy, he is our starter, yeah. which I'm just right? like, oh, come on, Matt Nagy. Like, don't say anything. How about that? I just don't get it, man. I don't get I, I That's going to be like, I don't know what the odds were for Matt Nagy as, as first coach fired, but I would think that they would, they would have skyrocketed. Um, especially after saying that today, like, I just yeah. don't get it. I, and you know, look, Justin Fields got put in a tough spot, but I think it's time to start getting a little bit worried about Joe Burrow and not in a long-term sense. I said last week on the Monday recap, you know, I think the Bengals found their guy, but I think they absolutely have the wrong coach. And I think Joe Burrow is there for the long run. I don't think Zach Taylor's there for the long run. But that, you know, that ownership, they don't move on from coaches, you know, quickly. So I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried. I still think Burrow is going to be good. But it's clear that Joe Burrow is not all the way comfortable or not all the way back from, you know, that injury, which was catastrophic last year. I mean, it's so hard to watch him play because you see the, the glimpses and some of that ball placement is perfect, but I've just never seen, I really don't know if I've seen a quarterback throw three interceptions on three straight passes. Like doesn't I happen just, often. No. And especially to a number one overall pick who, who didn't have a bad week last week. Like, you know, it, it was just something totally different. Um, listen, are these games going to happen? Yes. Is it crazy that you had a, these two great quarterbacks that are young going up, going against each other. Like, I like that. It was more enjoyable to watch that game, but at the end of the day, no, the Bengals aren't there yet. And, and you're right to question the coaching and, and I don't know on both sides. And I don't know what's going to go on, on yeah. either of these situations. It just seems like two teams that have a guy who should bring your fan base excitement. Like if you have a Justin Fields or Joe Burrow, you as a fan should, you should be excited for that. You should be chomping at the bits every week. Can't wait to watch, not expecting that. Hey, this team's going to go make a playoff run or a Super Bowl run, but you should be excited to watch every Sunday. And I feel like if I'm a Bengals fan or if I'm a Brown or a Bears fan, I'm, I'm not super excited. I'm really not like I, I'm, I'm worried every time Joe Burrow drops back. I'm, af- <laughs> I'm afraid for him. And with, J- with Justin Fields, you're seeing this guy who look six of 13, 60 yards. He, he ran the ball. Well, when he, when he got his opportunities, he sealed the win with that, you know, huge third and nine as a whole. I'm just a little bit worried. I will say, I think the Bengals wide receiver room is extremely talented. Yeah, uh, T- yeah. Tyler Boyd was the, was the big guy this week. We saw another Jamar chase bomb. We saw T Higgins find his way to the end zone. I love T Higgins. I loved him coming out of the draft last year. And because he was pick 33 in the first round and this first pick of the second round, people just forgot about him entirely. You know, people just forgot that, hey, T. Higgins is going to be, you know, is a first round caliber wide receiver. And he's just not going to get talked about like that in Cincinnati and, and also being drafted where he was. There are things to be excited about, but I'm definitely worried about it. Um, again, there's not too much you can glean from this. But at the same time, like if you're a fan of those squads, I'm praying for your boys to stay healthy. And then, I mean, maybe maybe not Andy Dalton, but yeah, uh, the other <laughs> I mean, I'd never wish injury on anybody. No, no, but, but I know what you But mean. for Justin like, Fields' sake, I just want him to get more opportunities, and we'll see if Dalton plays here on, on Sunday. A uh, couple of the other eh games, uh, you know, Tua goes down with the bruised ribs. He's now listed as, like, questionable day-to-day. That looked really ugly when he went down. Yeah. 
to me, the Bills don't look 100% right, but they also didn't last year, and they kind of worked their way into what inevitably, what eventually we saw, which was Josh Allen as an MVP candidate at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So I'm not overly concerned with the Bills. They win 35 to nothing and blow up. By the way, we forgot to pick that game last week. <laughs> Just in, we happened to skip it, and that's on me. So I'll, I'll be better here next week, make sure I don't do that. But Tua, I, I'm especially seeing what Justin Herbert looks like. The Dolphins here are in a weird spot. And I don't want to get into the Deshaun Watson thing because he they seem to be the front runner if that ever happens. But Tua. If it's really only bruised ribs, I mean, he's he's going to have some problems staying healthy in this league. He just is. I think he's going to just have problems in this league. I haven't seen enough from him to say, like, he is ready to be an NFL quarterback. And I know he's, what, a year and change in. Like, it, it's not fair. Yeah. But also, like, I, there was no flash for me even. There were a couple moments, but I love him because he's left-handed. And that's, like, I'm lefty, dude. We got to stick together and root for yeah. each other. But, uh, no, he he, like – hasn't looked great or even elite for a full game, in my opinion. And usually you get that at least out of a game or two. Um, they were playing the Bills either way, so it, it was going to be tougher than the win. But without Tua, this was a spanking 35-0, and it was one of the most uneventful games we've, we have had. And I don't know if it looks that much different if Tua's in the game. You know, it, it's he doesn't have zip on the ball. His whole thing was, you know, that smart, get the ball out quick, layering his passes all that drew Brees crap that we love yep. to kind of throw on him when he was coming out but he's he holds onto the ball way too long and we we saw it again on sunday and that's part of why he got absolute i mean he got crushed on that hit and i don't think he feels comfortable running i don't think that's really his strong suit and uh, you know I, I give him credit in that like look he had a debilitating hip injury which again is really rare to happen in in, in football in general and for him to come back alone but when you see how good Justin Herbert looks and you're thinking, man, this, this Dolphins roster with, with Justin Herbert instead, it, you just you, how do you sleep at night if, if you are a Dolphins fan knowing that that's out there? So uh, good for the Bills to, to kind of have a big bounce back game. We'll see how uh, you know, the Tua situation progresses, but uh, it's, it's a major red flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the third of the, of the really, well, I don't know, Patri- Patriots, Jets was pretty bad too, but the Browns and Texans was frisky through like a half where all of a sudden you look up and it's 14 to 14 and the, the Texans are driving down the field and, and Terod Taylor's looking like, Hey, you know, comeback player of the year Terod Taylor, that narrative is going to start. And he comes up with a weird hamstring. He just released the ball kind of funky. And now, and I wish I could take credit for it, but you know, the guys that are part of my take came up with the perfect analogy for us. It was PFT. Remember that movie, Good Luck Chuck, which was it was a Dane <laughs> Cook movie where he would be the guy that dated the girl before they found the love of their life. And he would yes. like Craig's like that. Terod Taylor's the good luck Chuck of, of quarterbacks, because now I mean, it was it was Josh Allen in Buffalo and then it was Baker yep. Mayfield in Cleveland and then it was Justin Herbert and with the Chargers. And now I don't think Davis Mills is going to be great, but there's a look, there's a lot of scouts that were really high on Davis Mills. If this happens again to Terod Taylor, I think I am going to like put together a care package with like a bear that says like, I love you holding like a heart and, and just like send him something because I just, I feel for the guy, the Browns behind that Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt backfield, ran the ball. Baker almost got hurt. 
came back, which was nice to see. Yeah. Jarvis Landry gets pulled out of the game early. Still no Odell, so that wide receiver room's a little bit beat up. I'm not worried about the Browns. It was a good comeback win. They look great in the second half. Um, did you take anything away from this game in particular that really kind of was wor- at least worth throwing out there? Like, hey, you know, I, I just think the, the Texans are like a, a professional team at the very least. You know, yes, like they are go out but- there and fight. They are. The Browns, I think for me, what was crazy, the, the one play that stands out, and they had a lot of great ones, honestly, but their third string running back looking like an absolute beast and taking off um, had a great touchdown run. Demetric Felton. Demetric yeah. Felton. Demetric Felton. He's kind of like a Rondale Moore type out of UCLA last year. Yeah. And he had an incredible touchdown. Or I guess it was receiving maybe, but it was like a screen or something. It, yeah, it was, a, it was a little screen that he took to the house. Yeah, and it was an incredible play. So if you have the chance, look at that. And that was one of the moments where you're like, like you're saying, these Browns wide receivers are depleted, but they have three starting running backs. Like, what is going on? These guys are all great. So they're going to stick behind this line. They know their identity. They're going to be there in, uh, you know, January, and, and they'll be fine. The only concern with Cleveland for me right now is, is the defense hasn't looked as dominant as I was anticipating going into the season. I thought the defense was – and they have – look, they have young guys on the outside, Greg Newsom, Grant Delpit. They have a young secondary, but talented secondary. And I think yeah, those guys it, just need to come along a little bit. Exactly. They have a lot of new players on the team in general on defense. They A lot of great players, so they yeah. just got to all get aligned. Yeah, they'll, and they'll, Jer- they'll Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo as well. Got to yeah. throw it because he's a rookie too, kind of cap, you know, captaining that, that, that linebacking room. We'll say I did in our draft preview, you can go back and find it. I did shout out to Mitrick Felton. I said he was going to be a stud in the NFL. I was high on him coming out because he's just one of those gadget guys who can do a little bit of everything, a little Darren Sproles esque. Uh, and because, you know, he proved like he's hard to bring down. He's not just quick and fast, he's going to be tough to bring down as well. Um, mm-hmm. Continuing on the, the shitty games in the first window, and then we'll, We'll jump to the, the the at least more competitive games worth talking about. Pat's Jets, Zach Wilson f- had four interceptions through two and a half quarters. I'm not – look, I mean, it's, it's a rookie quarterback going up against Bill Belichick, so I don't think you can, you know, really glean too much away from it and come away being like, man, Zach Wilson's terrible. But it's concerning, man. Like the, the Trevor Lawrence interceptions, because they both have five interceptions through two weeks – those I understood, like it looks like he's processing it right, just not great throws or incredible plays by like, your guy, PS2. Zach Wilson looks like he he's, you know, the Sam Darnold quote, right? I'm seeing ghosts out there. Like that's, yeah. that's what it feels like. It feels like he had no idea what he's seeing and just hoping he's, you know, on arm talent alone, he's going to get it there. He's too talented know, to be this bad, but... I think right now he's the front runner for rookie quarterback that like maybe we're going, I don't know if this kid maybe has it or not. And I I hate to wish, you know, negative on anybody because when he's right, I mean, the kid is spectacular, but he's, it's also, you know, it is. And this is actually, it's a great example. There's also one a year. There's always one a year, but like, it's pretty good bet that the player is going to be on the jets. Cause that's (laughs) what's happened. If it's a new quarterback. Yeah, exactly. It's a great example though of, the difference between what defenses do in the preseason versus yes. what they do in the NFL regular season, right? Because it, it when next year, when we're watching preseason football and uh, Malik Willis or Sam Howell or whatever quarterback who gets drafted is the next heir apparent, you know, the next number one overall pick, 
is throwing dimes and cutting up defenses in the first, you know, three preseason games. Think back to this moment and how bad Zach Wilson looked this week. Because Zach Wilson looked amazing in the preseason. He did. He did. But it's also like this. This, The hard part is going up against Belichick's defense. This is like if you're an engineering student and you came out of high school and you took some AP classes or whatever, and and you go and all of a sudden you have a college physics test and there's like two questions all open-ended and you don't know either of them. And you're like, what the fuck do I do? That's what it's like playing Bill Belichick's defense. It's like your first college test and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I am and you're so taking screwed. a 400 level class basically. Yeah. yeah. And you're just getting wrecked. Or like, you're taking just, like your engineer, like, you know, your engineer or maybe, F-E. you know, yeah. yeah, yeah thank P-E, you. Any of those, yeah. And you're, you're just getting screwed. Yep. You're pre-med <laughs> going into your freshman year of college and your first final is the MCAT. Like it, it's that level of, I just have no idea what the hell I'm looking at right now. And I, again, for his sake, because he is ultra talented, you know, I don't think this is like a Josh Rosen where Josh Rosen just clearly wasn't downloading yeah, things quick enough, which he needed to do to be good. But again, just remember this, this game in particular next year. And I get it. Yeah. It is the hardest of the hard. But again, that should show you the disparity between what you see in the regular in the preseason and what you see in the regular season being two completely different animals because defense, the defensive coordinators aren't you know, disguising coverages and shit. They're not, they're not worried about that. It's just not what they do. The Pats, Mac Jones looking a little bit better. I was, I was hoping for a bigger day from Mac Jones. He had zero interceptions. He had zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, think under 200 passing yards. And it was clearly just this, this difference of yeah, 186. It was this difference of here's a quarterback who threw four picks and here's a quarterback who threw zero. And the guy who throws zero is probably going to win because you have Bill Belichick's defense and you're on a good overall team and you can run the ball. Like it's no one's business again. Right it's now. it goes back to the eerily similar comp between young Tom Brady, which yep. was a guy who had the talent but just did what he had to do, managed the game, processed everything, didn't make mistakes, took big chunk plays when they were there, and he also had a few drops. And it's not like he's throwing to an all star cast here. This team's not going to win games in New England right now based off of their quarterback play. They're just, they're not, they're going to win it off of defense. They're going to win off of running the ball behind Damian Harris, who had the best run that we've seen. Well, Derek Henry might've had something to say later in the day, (laughs) but that Damian Harris touchdown run was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Into some of the more interesting outcomes. Yes. The saints and the Panthers. Okay. I was on Carolina going into this game. Oh man, now my here, boy Jameis. My I, boy I know, Jameis, man. I, I know, I know. And I and I thought you were one of the first people I thought about because of how hard <laughs> you've been riding him. The interceptions, I, they weren't like bad interceptions, all right. They were desperation throws, end of half, end of quarter. You know what I mean? Like they weren't like classic Jameis throws. They looked like classic Jameis throws, but the context around them I felt were different. And they were down eight coaches. Six of six of whom uh, I think they had or six offensive coaches and two defensive coaches that the Saints were down. Like, I don't think offensively they were going to look great in this game. I thought Jameis did some good things. But I think the Panthers and I said this in our week one preview with me and Scott, I said the Panthers are going to sneak in and win one of the wild card slots. I really think they will. Wow. I, I think they're a young really good defensive team with a really good defensive coach. I think they've found something. I I think I love Matt rule. I think they found Mm -hmm. something in Sam Darnold. 
you have arguably one of the best, not at least offensively, the best non quarterback in football in Christian McCaffrey, and they have a good wide receiver room. I mean, DJ Moore is making plays. You have Robbie Anderson, who's just consistently good. And then you have this rookie, Terrace Marshall, who made a couple plays in there as well. I like this Panthers team. And I think, I don't think they're going to win 12, 13 games, but if they're 10 and seven or 11 and six, and they're in the hunt for the playoffs and the record kind of breaks their way, especially seeing as it seems like the three, the four, the three wildcard teams right now all look like they're coming from the NFC West. But they're gonna, they're, there's gonna be cannibalization there between them. Like there's gonna be, there has to be, there just is going to be. So if they get in because of a weird record thing and San Francisco loses a game they shouldn't, or the Seattle loses a game that they shouldn't, kind of like this weekend against Tennessee, I think the Panthers can come in. Where, which side, I guess, to you is this the Saints just didn't have it today, just like Green Bay didn't last week, or the Panthers actually have something brewing? I think the Panthers are a steady team and the Saints are too volatile. So you cut the Panthers being them consistent selves, which is why you're saying they're probably going to be that around 500, you know, over under the season with 17 games right around there. Um, but what I do think is that the New Orleans Saints did not play even close to their potential, um, both on offense and defense. You know, I, I was looking at this. What's crazy is my boy Jameis still doesn't have 300 yards throwing on the season. No, and 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 but here's what he does have. You ready for this? He has a 97, just the season composite, 97 passer rating. Uh, his highest yards per carry average of his career in 6.2. Uh, he already has a touchdown, which he's never had more than one rushing touchdown in a year, which I find incredibly hard to believe. Um, and yeah, he's uh, he's has his one of his um highest completion percentages too. So I'm looking at a guy who probably still is going to win MVP. Piece. I don't even know why I talked myself out of that. You know what? My boy James said one bad game. Everybody does back on the bandwagon. We're all good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're feeling good. I want you to feel good <laughs> because it's very telling that it wasn't a, you know, how many, how many interceptions did up with three, two, just two. two. Yeah. So we had two interceptions, yards. but 111 yards. Right. So old Jameis would have had two interceptions and 350 yards receiving. The fact yeah. that he wasn't, you know, t- like, again, those interceptions are explainable visually, if you just watch the one play, you're like, oh, same old Jameis. But if you're following the context of the game, they weren't the same old Jameis in Tampa Bay, you know, interceptions that we've seen in year past, years past. He was definitely more responsible to football. What we're, what we're seeing, though, is I think, and this is what I think the Panthers actually exposed with this Saints offense, is that he doesn't have legit weapons. I, I'm Marquez Callaway. You know, people loved him in, in fantasy, kind of a sleeper there. Traquan Smith, who's seen flashes of. I think all those guys are, are good, like role player guys. If Michael Thomas comes back and ends up being Michael Thomas of old, maybe this is different. But again, Jameis has never really played with Michael Thomas because he missed basically all of last year, definitely didn't throw with him. And now you're going to be didn't work with them all training camp. And now you're going to be building this relationship mid season, which maybe something sparks right away. It's, yeah. you know, when, when you see your future wife from across the bar and it's just like, <laughs> you know, love at first sight kind of thing, you know, and Michael Thomas is a little that Mike Evans, like receivers that James has played with in the past, but yeah, but you know, it's that's not, what it's he's not missing. the same talent level though. And, and when you're not worried about any of the other options and threats offensively, you're just going to key in on Kamara. And, you know, Kamara so far through two games has been, even in that big game, you know, last week has been pretty pedestrian. I mean, 
Kamara had eight carries for five yards, four catches for 25 yards. I mean, this is a guy who you, you expect to be the most dang, one of the most dangerous weapons in all of, of all the NFL. And I so, agree. you know, so far to this, to this point, I'm pulling up his stats on the season. He's got 28 carries for 88 total yards, seven catches for 33. And he's got the one touch, uh, the one touchdown in, in the receiving category. But these are bad. I mean, he's projected at 700 yards rushing so far. He's only averaging 3.1 yards a carry. That's my, that's my biggest worry is right now he's number one, not getting enough touches. And I think that's your point of keying him. It's not like, it's like when Saquon is the only player on the Giants and, and kind of luckily they're stretching a little bit. But the point is that when the whole team just keys in on you, there's nothing you can do. You can be the most yeah. talented guy, unless you're a Hall of Fame talent like Barry Sanders, you're not making everybody miss, you know. So th- there's something to definitely be said about that and, and really what that team has had to go through. Um, in the last year or two in the depletion of talent and really the contract issues that they've had with everybody. And you're seeing it now where they're having to play guys that they probably wouldn't normally. And there are holes in this team. So hopefully mm-hmm. um, they can do something to keep going, but, and, and, and you know, patch those holes, but I, I don't know what the long-term solution is here. So guys have to step up. Yeah. That's what they're betting on basically. Right. And, mm-hmm. and we'll see if that happens. So we'll go from your, your boy, Jameis Winston to your team, the Denver Broncos. Man. All right. So far, and I'll I have to go all the way back here and find, and I'm going to. If you hear papers flushing, it's because I'm I'm an 80 year old man and I like to write everything down um, for these pods. I had Denver going seven and ten, and you said Jeff, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. This team, this Denver Broncos team, is going to be an 11 or 12 win team. By season's end. And so my question to you is now we're two weeks into the season, two and up, which if you take away that uh, kick return for a touchdown, this would have been a much, this game is nowhere near as close as it was. Are you feeling as confident in that 11 and a half? I believe is what the line is, what we said it at 11 and a half. Cause remember there's two rounds of golf for you. One for Scotty, one for me, which all three of us will play together and you'll just float the bill. Or, I, think, I think we got to listen back. I think it was just double digit at the end of the it, day. No, you're right. Damn it. You're right. It was double digits. Fuck. Now that you, the second you said that I went, cause I honestly couldn't, I didn't write down the actual bet. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, what, I'll write it down now. So we don't, I, so we don't forget. No, it was double digits. It was a double, double digits by the end of the season. I'm writing it down right now. Broncos. Double digits. Do you still feel as confident? I do. I do. And it's a lot of schedule based. So we have the Jets next. So you talk, think about this. We start with the, the Giants, Jaguars and Jets. That's a solid three starts. And I hope to God we get the win next week, especially again, Zach Wilson and our, where our defense is playing, um, you know, starting off against these younger quarterbacks, uh, these worst teams is not bad to get your team going. We do go on a stretch of like Ravens. Steelers. Let me get some divisional games. Uh, Browns. Anyway, we have a mix in the middle. And then at the end, there's a stretch of like the Lions, the Bengals. So we, we have a couple winnable games here. So I wouldn't be surprised if this bet looks good, then looks bad, then looks good at the very end. And we're gonna have to pull off some division wins. We're gonna have to beat the Chargers. You know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to probably beat the Raiders. But I think we can get to the ten win mark. I really do believe that. And I think when you look at this team, it's something that you said that I didn't believe about my own team is that man like. Teddy Bridgewater is probably your guy. 
coming into the year. And I was like, I, no, I man, feel very vindicated on my Teddy Bridgewater. My, my and also convincing you i'm happy for you but i was i felt very vindicated uh, on that i'm happy you're right god damn it it's it's a beautiful thing because there's no turnover problem like having a, a quarterback that will not turn the ball over but also push the ball downfield still like he, teddy bridgewater made some incredible he had over 300 yards passing two touchdowns he, he made some incredible throws to Cortland sutton who's back 159 as, a, as, receiving a, as yards. an owner of Cortland sutton on my fantasy team i'm loving it i'm right. loving i'm loving the teddy bridgewater you know, I want to say dink and dunk. It's very similar to what Jameis is doing. You know, it's it's take the passes that are there and then take your shots when they're open. And so far, you know, Teddy has completed all of them. Yeah, he's gone off. And and I think the coolest thing for me is I was wearing my uh, Pat Patrick Sertan, the second jersey yesterday, and then turning around and looking at him. If you haven't seen the pick yet, he had one of the best interceptions I've seen in a little while here. I mean, it was, it was great. And it was so good. I was actually, as we have this on, I have the Monday night countdown in the background and, um, and Boomer uh, just, just said uh, it was his number one play of the week. Number one catch of the week last week, which is pretty crazy. It was a um, ridiculous catch. So obviously it's NFL, probably not Oklahoma's defensive, which was the catch of the which week. was the that's, catch of the week. Oh they're my saving God. that for you got Moss. That's that's what they're saving that for. Yeah, they quick, have to. quickly, let's run through the Denver Broncos schedule and let's see what what they need to do, because you're right. It's a very tough schedule, but there are some games there they can win. All right. So you already got two in the bank. Jets. Yep. That's a win. So we'll count it at three. And I, when I do games, I like to do them in like three game stretches and then predict how many of those three you win, right? So you're 3-0 for your first three. Then you have Ravens at Steelers, home versus Raiders. Where do you go out of those three games? I, I, you got to go one and two. You have to pull off the win probably against the Raiders. I, I don't know about the Steelers or Ravens beating them right now. We'll see. I think they beat one of the two. I, I, I also agree. I think they go one and three there. Uh, but you get the Raiders at home, yeah. which will be interesting. So I, I yeah. so I think I think one and two there, uh, one of the three is what you said. I just mean like I was gonna say I yes. think they could beat the Steelers or the Ravens because I don't believe in the Steelers at all. All right, so you're at four. Then you have at Browns, home versus Washington, at Cowboys. So here's that's another tough stretch. I still think one and two here even. Really, which puts us at like five and four. I think. Right. That would that would put you at five wins. Yep. On the season. I I would say I think you steal two of those, but we'll we'll see. We'll keep you at five. This is your this is your list. All right. So conservative then, here. Yeah. Then we have Eagles at home, Chargers home at Chiefs. I say two out of the three. I think we gotta two. take down the Eagles and and we gotta take the Chargers at home. But home to home games, and they're both like in the afternoon window. I think yeah. that's solid for us. So then you got, and this is where you, this is where it gets really tough in the middle, but then it softens up a little bit there. And it's going to be really interesting down the stretch. You got home versus Lions, home versus Bengals at Raiders. So yeah, I have seven wins now. I mean, I mean, yeah, I would say we're definitely beating the Lions and Bengals. I took the win against the Raiders earlier. I'll give them the win there. So that puts you uh, that puts you at nine yeah. wins. With the yeah. last two games of the season being at the Chargers versus the Chiefs. And I think we beat the Chargers. I think either we beat the Chargers twice or the Raiders twice. So it, those are that last, those two games are the difference. And I, I mean, come on, what do you think? I mean, I think that's a realistic I, look at this season. I, w- I would have the number basically exactly the same. I, I would say somewhere between nine and 11. 
And I think that 10 to 10 and a half line is exactly right after what we've seen so far. But man, played. this bet's going to come down to the wire. <laughs> that's why I love it so much. That's why it's so, that's why I wanted to do that for everyone. It's just like, hey, you guys didn't have to do that. No, we did because that I went through and I was like, oh, wait, no, this schedule works out perfectly to try to figure this out. So, all right, your, your Broncos, they looked great. The only thing I'm worried about with Jacksonville is Urban Meyer. I I, I do think they're going to look better yeah. as the season goes on. We saw like that opening drive, the touchdown pass from Trevor Lawrence. Like there were good things out of Trevor Lawrence, but the Urban Meyer thing is an abject disaster already. Well, I I'm I'm honestly worried about him and and just the way he had his whole. You got to remember when he was in Florida last time, he left because of heart issues and stress, and he went to Ohio State. They retired again broadcasting and he came back and now he's coaching the Jaguars and man, I couldn't believe the missed field goals, just the issues on special teams. And luckily they had that touchdown, which is one of the things he said he wanted to fix, right? Special teams. And like, you know, they had a kick return for a touchdown. That's great. But you also missed two field goals like, and it was bad. So when you talk about an overall team, I think you're right to be worried. I think you're right to worry about him, but I, I think coaching wise, he will be okay. I'm more worried is like, Man, a, a 17 week, like a 17 game, 18 week regular season. What does that do to a guy with his, you know, history of health? And I hope he can, like, I just hope he gets through it okay. And I hope he knows what he's getting himself into. And I'm sure he does because he's not an idiot. He wouldn't do something he wouldn't know what to do. But yeah, guys like that also think that they can do anything because they have. <laughs> so the health thing is totally fair and, and is also like objectively, like, that's the main concern. But from just a football perspective, what I'm seeing and out of everything that's been reported and, and what's kind of come out of Jacksonville right now, which has obviously been pushback and there's a lot, it's just, he's making the classic mistake that co- successful college football coaches who make the jump to the NFL make, which is you've been doing something for 30 years, 20, 30 years at the highest level. You've won championships. You've been the best to do it at the college level. Look at Steve Spurrier, look at Nick Saban, you know, and then you go to the NFL with this college coaching model of hard work and hydrate. You know, that was those are the two, the two H's of our training camp were hard work and hydrate. And it's like, dude, you're not dealing with 18 year old kids. You're dealing with guys who will invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into their physique alone every single year. You know, yeah. you know, Russell Wilson invests over a million and a half dollars a year just on his body, on his physical like health in certain trainings that he does. These are guys that you don't need to be doing. You can't treat them like they're 18 to 22-year-olds. And Urban Meyer, I, I thought, was smart enough to know that and to avoid that. But I think when you're that successful, I think there's a natural psychological thing that when you've developed so much success, there's an ego we know with college coaches, which is like my way works. It's proven. It's going to happen. Chip Kelly was the same way. Remember Chip Kelly was testing guys as like hydration levels yeah. and, you know, and all that stuff. And it's like, you have to trust these dudes as professionals to take care of their bodies. And if they don't, then you cut their ass like they do in, in new England. You know, Jamie Collins is a great example of a dude who, you know, all the talent in the world and Bill Belichick was like, dude, you're not keeping yourself in shape. You're not taking care of yourself. This is New England. I'm not going to babysit you. I'm not going to tell you to do this. I'm worried about game planning against the other 32 best coaches or 31 best coaches in the world. You're out of here and send them packing. Another another great example of this, though, is I think what when Nick Saban did come up and and Bill Belichick did say, like, you know, 
Nick Saban, if he stuck around, probably would have made it. And I believe that after we've seen his success. But mm. one thing Nick Saban said, and it was also because they coached together at the Browns. Um, Nick Saban was right, Belichick's defensive coordinator. And he said, there's a great interview in them, that HBO documentary they do, where they're interviewing each other. Um, and Nick Saban says, uh, Nick's, yeah, it's incredible. And Nick Saban says in that, he says, the number one thing I learned in the NFL and why more college coaches should do it, and he said it's a tribute to why he is so great, is because the NFL, you get the team that the GM gives you and you figure out how to play everybody. Mm-hmm. And in college, you scout your own guys. If this guy plays, you, you get to a program, and this guy plays really good cover three zone defense as a corner, and you want to run two-man pr- like press, then that guy's just not playing. Like you can just make that choice. And the NFL, if that cover three zone corner makes $20 million a year, guess what? He's fucking starting and you yeah. got to figure out how to adjust your team. Yeah. And that's the difference between college and coach and, and, and college in the NFL. And you're right. I don't know. Hopefully Urban can adjust, but if he can't, like the, we've seen this go poorly for a lot of coaches and they yeah. learned that lesson too late. And it's, it's the classic adage, right? It's like, if I'm going to cook dinner, I want to pick the groceries. And college football coaches are notorious, notoriously control freaks. NFL coaches can't be. Like you said, you have to make you have to make agreements. You have to cook with what someone else buys for you. And Nick Saban knows that now. And what has Nick Saban done? Or and now, and this is a guy who was the king of recruiting. What has Nick Saban done since he left? You know Miami, and even in the last seven or eight years. He went from being like, hey, all of a sudden, I'm not getting the top recruits. That means I'm doing something wrong, and I need to adjust and start getting being more air raid. All the best wide receivers are going to the Big 12 because that's what was getting to the NFL. And so they're yeah. saying, all right, well, then I need to adapt. And learning how to adapt is something that college coaches are notoriously terrible at, especially ones who have won at the highest level and won at multiple top-tier programs like Urban Meyer did at Florida, like Urban Meyer did at Ohio State. You have to be able to adapt. And so far, we're not seeing that. Now, granted, we're two games in. Yeah. So we could be totally wrong this time next year. They could come out to a 2-0 start this time next year, right? But- yeah, I agree. But I, I think it's a worthy concern of, like, you, you got to make some adjustments if you want to yeah. keep rolling. And and they get a they basically get a year where it says, hey, look, we're mm-hmm. developing. We're building this thing from the ground up. But we'll see how committed he is, you know, come the end of the year, especially if USC comes calling with that bag, you know. It's true. All right, let's move on because we still have a few more games in the one o'clock window that we got to hit or from the one o'clock window that we got to hit. Raiders and Steelers. Steelers come out week one, win a hard-fought, ugly game against Buffalo, and people are going, man, Steelers' offense doesn't look good, but their defense looks salty. They stopped the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Like, they're going to be a problem. The Raiders come out when that insane game on Monday night that everyone thought they had blown. No one thinks on a short week going across the country that they're going to be able to pull off this win. And sure as hell, they looked like the better team from start to finish. Derek Carr is leading the league in passing yards. Max Crosby is number one in the, in the league right now in uh, defensive pressure rate. I don't even know what to say about the Raiders right now. I mean, the defense looked really good, but I want to throw a little bit of cold water on the Raiders and say that we've seen John Gruden in this now third year in a row that the Raiders have come out, been on a hot start, right? I picked them to win in week one and on that Monday night game. And I was, I think the only one between me and Scotty, I was, I was the one that picked that he had picked Baltimore. 
because I just felt like one of those wins. I did not see this coming. I'm very concerned about this Pittsburgh Steelers offense. So were you more worried slash disappointed in what we've seen from the Steelers or more impressed by what we've seen through the Raiders here in two weeks? I was impressed this week with the Raiders almost more than last week. Um, and, and I was really, um, I think let down by the Steelers defense. I think I thought that they were something completely different. And I was like, Oh, that, that whatever 10 win streak game, you know, they had last year, whatever it was like, they're going to do it again. And like, here they go. And I even said that I think last week on the pod and I am sorely mistaken. Um, they do not look like that. They were so consistent last year. So early for so long, <clears throat> this looks like a different defense. The missing of Bud Dupree is noticeable. Now um, the lack of pressure, TJ Watt, I believe went out during the game. Hold a groin. Yeah. Yeah. Which sucks to see, but um, without those two guys that generating that outside rush, this defense is not as scary. They have a good secondary, but not, you know, one of the most elite, they need pressure. So I, I just think that I was more probably impressed with the Raiders, but it was almost like I was let down still by the Steelers. And it was one of those weird games. Where, where do you fall in that line? I'm far more worried about the Steelers. Okay. Uh, the, the TJ Watt. Cause I honestly, I, I don't think the Raiders are as good as we've seen through two weeks. I think John Gruden wears on people. <laughs> <laughs> I think Derek Carr is a weird dude, and I think that he and John Gruden just kind of mesh. And I think, you know, there's some people who really buy in and are really loyal to John Gruden, but I think your average NFL player just doesn't quite buy in the same way. And I think that's why we see them cycle through guys every single year. Like, why did they move on for all these offensive linemen? Well, half the offensive line didn't like John Gruden, so they went out and had to replace him, you know. But you have some guys like Max Crosby who, you know, amazing for him is now almost two years sober the Raiders were his opportunity and his chance to, you know, to go. So he's kind of eternally indebted to a guy like John Gruden, who has given him a chance and has now seen unbelievable success. And he's committed to the organization that gave him an opportunity when other people wouldn't. And again, amazing story. I don't blame him for a second. Derek Carr is just a weird dude. And so many NFL teams would have moved on from Derek Carr by now, but John Gruden hasn't. And now we're seeing Derek Carr on a level in what year eight, year nine, leading the league with he has 800 and like 17 passing yards and no one else has over 600 or sorry, over 700. Like okay. he is like, he's like a full 120 yards ahead of the next highest. So I think is Kyler at like 650. So there are certain guys who buy into it and there's certain guys who don't. And I think what happens is, and we'll see it again this year is that I just think the Raiders will eventually putter back to earth because it's been hot starts now this is the third straight year under john gruden that we've seen them come out and win games You're like god i can't believe the raiders won that game i know especially after how good baltimore looked last night after losing to the raiders on monday night football the steelers you know go ahead i want to give some credit to mike mayock because that guy he was a longtime correspondent on nfl network yeah he went in as their gm and made some picks right away and people were like what the hell are you doing and he's always been he if did it again in, this year with Leatherwood too in the first yeah. round. And, and you don't know how these guys are going to turn out really, but I, you got to say he's done a pretty great job of assembling a team. Um, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but I'm on the same boat. I thought they were going to win four games total. I'm definitely having my foot in my mouth. This is embarrassing. And they're my division. Like I'm worried about them. And, and I don't know. I, and you, you have I, a little do, bit of like extra jitters too. When they're in your division, you're like, ah, oh, shit. Like, are, 
Oh, the Raiders well, especially actually when good. I thought like, they were going to have four wins. Especially when too. it's the, the shittiest team in your division. You're like, what the fuck's going on, guys? You got two wins? Like, I God do damn it. But I also wouldn't be shocked if we're sitting here at year's end and they end up with they end up six and 11. Like, I think that I know, is, but, a, I think yeah. that's very realistic in the same breath. And, and you're right, because they've hit on Max Crosby and they've hit on late round guys, but then they've whiffed on the Clell and Farrell. You know, and so at the end of the day, it's kind of like the Eagles. Like the Eagles spent a first round draft pick on Andre Dillard to play left tackle. They just paid Jordan Mailata, who was a seventh round pick, who had never played football a day in his life, who was um, literally dominated Nick Bosa one-on-one until the fourth quarter where Nick Bosa got a pressure sack that had more to do with the right side of the offensive line collapsing than it had to do with Mailata. And Mailata just took one of the best edge rushers one-on-one and put his ass in the ground multiple times last uh, uh, on Sunday. The Steelers, on the other hand here. So, again, I think the Raiders, like – the Raiders are good, kind of. We'll see how long they're able to keep this up. I just think there's an expiration date on the season for them, and if it was like a seven-game season, I think they'd be awesome. But <laughs> they were I, back in the 1920s, they would have crushed it. But when they got to play Kansas City and they got to go up against Denver's defense, a he- hopefully healthy Denver defense. Like if T.J. Watt doesn't get hurt from this game and pulled from this game, you know, I don't know what that what this game ends up looking like because TJ Watt, and this is why Scotty and I had a long conversation about, would you ever pay a defensive player $120 million? And my answer was no, unless his name is Aaron Donald, because you're seeing on one hand, the value of having TJ Watt and why you pay him that much money throughout the first, you know, quarter and a half before he got hurt and him wrecking that game. He forced another fumble against Derek Carr in the first half, just like he did last week. But then he gets hurt, and now your whole defense is fucked, and you're paying this dude, you know, $20 million a year to sit on your bench while he's rehabbing from injury, and your defense doesn't look the same after that. So it's the dichotomy there of, like, I see one hand how valuable he is, but also if something happens to that guy, then you're, the rest of your defense isn't going to be built to, with, to, to remain as dominant as you need it to be. Yeah, but I think that happens with any of the players that are getting paid that much. So, like, I'm just thinking about for the Broncos, like, Von Miller, without a doubt, is worth it. Like, he he single-handedly changed the Super Bowl and, like, multiple seasons for us. Yeah. Champ Bailey was elite. You just look at the history of the NFL with some of these guys. I mean, obviously, I mean, not going to Hall of Famers, but, like, Lawrence Taylor. Um, anyone who resembles this pass rush, I think, you look at the pass rush or, like, a lockdown guy. I think those mm-hmm. are the two positions. And Aaron Donald, I think – is a freak. It doesn't matter what position he could play. Like yeah. he could play any position and he would be fine. They were talking about him training with the defensive backs. And it's like, that's insane. And and Chris Long had a great tweet, which was like, would Aaron Donald be a top five edge rusher? And the answer is yes, he, he would. Oh be. yeah. Like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. He's so undersized. Cause the Rams, tackle. the Rams were kind of like mixing him out into the outside and, and don't get me wrong. You're, you're absolutely right that any of those top paid guys that that's true for, but it's different when you can replicate that through depth and recycling players and having, you know, like I equated it to running backs. Like it's why you don't pay running backs a ton of money because if Zeke Elliott goes down, like he's had in years past then your offense is kind of screwed there, especially before Dak became what we've seen Dak kind of turn into over the last few seasons. And I think it comes down to the fact that they really, I think they messed up getting rid of Bud Debris. And if they had him, this is different. Which coming off of the Achilles injury and everything else with him, I get why they passed on him. But I don't think this is the same Steelers defense. And more importantly, my biggest fear with the Steelers right now is the offense, which with no – I mean, Najee Harris looked awesome. 
Deontay Johnson looked, got hurt on the last play of the game, which sucks. And, and I don't know, I haven't heard yet how serious that injury is, but you have went healthy Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith Schuster. And basically all three of those guys are just useless. Kind of like the Bengals. Yeah. You got T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase. And if you can't protect your quarterback, it doesn't matter. At least Joe Burrow has some sort of escapability. Big Ben at this point of his career he just can't he can't move he can't navigate the pocket he, he's he used to be so hard to bring down it was like tackling an offensive lineman and yeah. now him slimmed down him being 40 it's just not the same and if the Raiders defense can shut him down the way that they did I think a lot of defense is going to be able to so even though they won week one against Buffalo I feel much better about my pick in that the Steelers were gonna I think I had the Steelers going like five and 12 or something in, in my preseason pick I feel I feel better about that now than I did in week one when they took down Buffalo. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, we got two more games here from the one o'clock window. I'll make it brief. Uh, Eagles lose to the 49ers 17 to 11. This was the this is why everyone is so torn on Jalen Hurts. And, and by the way, Jalen Hurts is not to blame for this game. There was weird officiating stuff. That touchdown pass to Rager that got called back because he got pushed out of bounds by the uh, the cornerback. Scotty and I were saying it's a terrible rule, especially if he's forced out by the cornerback. It's a it, like it's yeah. a bad bad rule, but you have to play within the constructs of the way the rules are written, and so it was the right call. But it's yeah. a bad rule. So we saw good things of Jalen Hurts, the Quez Watkins touchdown. This game was an indictment on uh, on Sirianni. And look, when you win big in Week One. You, not every week is going to be a peaches and rainbows, right? You know, it, you, you have to be able to kind of bounce back. And so for me, as frustrating as that game was, especially because the first, you know, the first, what, quarter and three quarters, you know, like, I don't, I don't even know what to say, but like basically the first 25 minutes of this game was dominated by Philadelphia on both sides of the ball. But you have yeah. that, you have that, Massive play to Watkins, which is an incredible play. I love taking the deep shot there. But after that, if you take away Quez Watkins, it's two catches for Devontae uh, Smith for 26 yards. It's three catches for Jalen Rager for 21 yards. You know, it, it's three catches by Kenny Gainwell for 17 yards. It's, it, it is depleted without that 91-yard touchdown or almost touchdown. And then the play calling in the red zone, you know, pulling off the Philly special thing, like I – I lost my mind when I saw that because it was yeah. just, and he, and, and this is why I'm going to be positive here because this is a test. It's a first year head coach. You know, we can't overreact just because they look good in week one. And I did on Sunday, but you know, digesting it. And this is why I said, I allow myself those three hours to be an insane person only so that way I can look back on it and come at it with an even, even keeled tone and, and headspace and say, Hey, Nick Sirianni, you're going to lose games. You're not going to look great. You're going to have a learning curve too. How, how do you respond from this? And his press conference today was actually very reassuring. You know, the taking full responsibility for things, just small little anecdotal stuff that he said in his press conference, which is all we really get to see right now makes me feel better. But the real test is how do you look on Monday night football, taking on the Dallas Cowboys next week? Because that is going to be incredibly, um, it's going to be very representative of what Sirianni does. I, I was really impressed with the D line. Unfortunately, Brandon Graham, torn Achilles, is done for the year. Uh, yeah, Brandon, that's, that's a shame. That's which an absolute shame. Is hard. I mean, he's an all-time Eagles athlete. He he really is. The strip sack against Brady in the Super Bowl mm -hmm. cemented it. 
Otherwise, he would have gone down as like a Jeremiah Trot or some of those guys who Philly fans just love and had admiration for. The fact that he was the guy that stripped Brady to make that Super Bowl happen. Brandon Graham is an all-time Philadelphia athlete, was named on the NFL's top 100 list this year for the first time of his career, made a Pro Bowl for the first time of, on, in his career last year. And he is, in a lot of ways, it's weird saying it from an Ed Rusher who only plays, you know, 40 to 50% of snaps. He is a lot of the heart and soul of that defense. And, and they're going to lose some stuff because this Eagles defense looked really good beforehand, but they still did a really good job going up against Kyle Shanahan. And, and there's still a lot to feel positive about. He's not the player he once was, so they have guys who can replace his production. But what he means to the locker room and the team and everything was, was, was really hard to see. Brandon Brooks strained his, uh, his pectoral muscle, likely going to the IR, but it's not a tear, so he's not done for the year. We're going to get Brandon Brooks back at some point. And we'll see Landon Dickerson, the rookie from Alabama. They invested a lot in him. He's also coming off an ACL. We'll see where it goes. I don't know. What What were your takeaways from this game? It was an ugly football game, just objectively. It, it was. It wasn't fun to watch. No, I think I think I want to flip the side here because I think the good part about what the 49ers did was their defense played pretty well. Um, Jimmy G didn't turn the ball over. Um, decent completion percentage. He ran the ball a lot, um, not effectively. 11 rushes for 20 yards. But he had a touchdown. He had that punch in. And that was huge. Um, that was really big for a lot of reasons, you know, uh, through lots of Debo, there were a lot more completions on the 49ers side and the Eagles. I mean, 22 completions versus 12. So you're just moving the ball more incrementally. And I think that was the difference, right? They ran the ball a little better. They threw a little more consistently. And it was the case of the team that played the least shitty one almost, you know, yeah. cause it was not a great game. Um, and it, and I'm not saying that because everyone's like, Oh, it was just a low scoring game. That's why it was shitty. It's like, no, there wasn't like a big trench battle that was just a standstill. Like it was just kind of, I don't know, the lines getting pushed around on both sides. No one dominated. It wasn't like an incredible game either way, at least it, from my view. So it was, it, it was like a Northwestern versus Michigan state when neither team is really particularly good kind of game, right? you know? And, and I'll say this, I've seen so many people have this take and I wanted to shake them in their face and be like, yes, this is what I've been talking about. So many people have been like, I have never been more confused about who Jalen Hurts is as a quarterback than I am right now. And I said, yes, welcome to watching him be a college football player and now in the NFL for, for five years. Like, this is what he is. It's amazing. And then this is a guy who won SEC Player of the Year. It's a guy who was a Heisman finalist. Uh, you know, like, it, it just makes you want to shake because it's like you see the ups and downs. And then you see the games where he gets pulled for Tua in the national championship game, right? It's it's this dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, and, and I still believe in him because he did a lot of really good things. Yeah, I thought but, so too. But I, he's he – is just He's going to run the ball so well. I mean, he had like – I think he had 10 rushes for like 80-some yards. Like It was a very good game for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you're right. It's a lot more on the ground. And, and that takes away from Miles Sanders. And, and I just think that they need to almost turn and look at what the, the Ravens are doing on offense a little bit and take a page out of the book of like, you know what, we can just be one of the rushing leaders in the NFL and not yeah. worry about the pass as much. And then yeah. on the flip side, I mean, the Niners, they played well. Bose had two sacks, which I, it's kind of funny because I thought he kind of got lost in the game a little bit. Like, I don't think he played his best game, but of course, when you look at the stat line, you're like, of course he ends up with two sacks. God damn it. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, again, like that is, that is the dichotomy of Jalen Hurts. It's just, and look, I think you can win with that, by the way. 
Because, like, oh, yeah. you know, we, a couple of things Tebow. change. I know we this, can win with that. <laughs> a couple of things change in this game, and, and you can still win with that, you know, because you're going to get the Falcons games from them, and then you're going to get games like this. It's just a matter of, I think, Sirianni and the play calling and the development needs to play a big role in it. Um, all right. Last game of the 1 o'clock window, Rams, Colts. Carson Wentz hurt again. Two sprained ankles somehow in this game. Um, it was Carson Wentz. It was moments that looked like, hey, Carson Wentz is, is good. And then there's moments where it's, hey, here's a shuffle shovel pass, and it's an interception on the goal line to the linebacker. Uh, here's a fourth and goal from the one, and Carson Wentz takes a sack on fourth and goal because he's trying to be Superman instead of, hey, the play's not there. Let me just try to push it in. It's who Carson Wentz is. It's who he's going to be forever. On the other side of it, the Rams – uh, you know, if it wasn't for that weird special teams miscue where the, the personal protector got, did you see that play? The personal protector gets hit on the arm on the long snap and yeah. it shoots off. I mean, that, uh, that man, play was, I've never seen something. Like I've that never seen any game. special teams play like that. I mean, that's one of the craziest things. And as that, the wildest part is the guy whose arm it hit just took off running like, uh, dude, how did you not feel that? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Or I don't know what happened. Because I think he get was worried. Out of the way and- he knew it, but I think he was trying more worried about his duty. I get that he has to step out of the way there, but I think the person who didn't get the blame there that should have was the long snapper. Because he took his full step out of the way, and there wasn't a perfect angle to see just how far out of the way it was, but it looked like he was at, in relatively good position. I thought it was might have been a bad snap. We'll, we won't know for sure. But yeah, that dude's I'm, yeah. catching you know, the I'm blaming the that. special teams coordinator because I hate whenever teams do this shift shit, especially when it's like that. It's like he lined up in the center and moved left. It's like, what was your read there? If if what if there were less guys on the right, were you gonna fake it? Like yeah. just fucking move out the way and line up that way. It's like teams that line up with their entire you know team off on the left for an extra point in college. Yeah, and they run in and kick the field. I'm over that. I'm just stop, please. I think I think they overcomplicated a bit. I think basically. They knew because they were backed up against their own end zone, the punters kicking out of the end zone, that he was going to be tight and that Indianapolis was going to be sending a lot of heat. And so I think what they did is they they were kind of like, hey, let's let's pick and see which side Indianapolis overloads and let's you know make sure we have at least a little bit of extra protection here. Also, I don't know if anyone at home can hear it, but at 7.24 p.m., our lawn cutting crew decided to show up to cut our lawn. So if you're hearing lawnmowers in the background <laughs> – 724 p.m. is a classic time on a Monday to uh, come cut your lawn. All right. Uh, that's the one o'clock game. Right. Quick break. Real quick. Just, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Last I just want to throw Cooper Cup. Oh, yeah. Cooper Cup played an incredible game, and they probably lose this game if he's not in there. And uh, I think he carried Stafford that game a little bit. Daryl um, Henderson think, banged up too. They said rib yeah. cartilage, but they're hopeful he'll be able to play this weekend. Uh, but I mean, Stafford looked good, man. Stafford Stafford's looked good. Uh, he's played two pretty good defenses in back-to-back weeks, and yet it's here true. they are, you know, still doing their thing. 19 to 30 for 278 and two touchdowns. He had the one interception, but uh, I, I would I would be positive. I'm I'm still riding the Stafford train. All right, quick break. Come back. Four o'clock games. Uh, things that we got wrong from week two. Vito and I each have a couple we're gonna throw out there, and then a little bit of. Uh, real life shit to wrap it up and send you on your way to the week. Four o'clock windows on Sunday, I thought were much better than the one o'clock windows. We had the two dramatic, especially if you're watching Red Zone, the way it timed out perfectly from Red Zone. And you got a little story about this that we'll get into when we hit the 
the the Cardinals and Vikings and the Cowboys Chargers. We're going to do car, uh, Cowboys Chargers first, so you can you can tell it then. But the way that it timed out on red zone was beautiful. Uh, and then obviously the insane Tennessee Seattle game. The one of the four that actually got a little bit frisky in the third quarter. It had already gotten, I think, down to like a three-point game at one point. Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Atlanta's just, I don't think, is a good football team. Arthur Smith. I, I mean, look, the Eagles game, to be unprepared for the Eagles game and admit that after your first press conference, like, wasn't a great look, but I kind of get it, honestly. But Tampa Bay, man. Tom Brady has uh, broken his own record that he had already tied. And this is, again, just the greatness of Tom Brady. The amount of interesting stats that will come with Tom Brady throughout his career will be insane. This was his ninth straight game, Tampa Bay, of scoring 30-plus points. Ninth straight game, including playoffs. So the whole playoff run and everything of 30-plus points, he broke his own record uh, which was with the 07 Patriots, and then again in 2010-2011 of eight. So Tom Brady's just gunning to try to create every you know record in the book. He's got nine touchdown passes through two weeks. The Bucks, yeah, second most ever, only behind Mahomes is ten in like 2018 or 2019. So I do think though, the, I do think though that the Bucks are going to lose some games this year. I, I I think they'll probably lose probably like four games because they're. Atlanta didn't have the horses and didn't have the defense to really, you know, jump on that three-point comeback that they had, you know, where they got it back to three and it just kind of separated for them. And look, that's where the magic of Tom Brady comes in. But the Cowboys, you know, they were a a touchdown, a field goal, a first down really away from icing that game. They couldn't get it. So, yes, the Bucs look good. But when the Bucs look like the best team in the NFL – and yet there's still kind of question marks. It leads into my theory, and I said this to Scott at the end of the night last night when we were watching the Sunday slate. My biggest takeaway from this weekend and the NFL in general after two weeks is I don't know anything. <laughs> I really don't, man. Like, I think I know things. I can react in moments and in individual times. I don't know. Do you think you gave me kind of a weird face when I said that? Do you yeah, feel like Tampa Bay is just a juggernaut now? And they're, they're I do think they're the clear number one, but I mean, I do. I mean, I think that they're the whole storyline behind them is, and it happens a lot is sometimes you'll have people and why teams are great. And we've seen this year in and year out. If you follow any team, a national champion, a Super Bowl winning team, they'll play, they, they squeak out wins. They might not play their best games every week. But we're also talking about a guy who threw five touchdowns and zero picks, and they they won by what almost twenty points. So like, oh yeah, sorry, it was twenty (laughs) twenty three points. So I mean, like that's a pretty damn good team. Like if I my team won by twenty three points, I'm like we kicked the shit out of them. We just wrecked. Like I think this team is gonna be fine. Um, I'm not worried about them. Let's like I I don't even honestly think it's worth saying much more about this team because they have the talent. They have all these players. The Falcons will seem to be in trouble. Yeah. Um, they, they're they the, the team I'm more, like, interested in because it's more of a storyline of, like, all right, Matt Ryan has had this all-time career where he still is, like – I forget what it said, but I think he passed, like, Eli Manning with the most completions or something he last was, he, night. He, he passed Eli Manning for eighth like or eighth, eighth yeah. all-time in yeah. passing yards. Yeah. So you have this guy who's had a Hall of Fame career easily, and – you're like, is he, he's great, right? Is the team, the team just 
sucks because he has the weapons. And yeah. so, like, what's going on here? And I think watching them every week, you're just like, is it coaching? Is it not? The fuck's going on in Atlanta? And I think it's a really weird place to, to be, especially in that division where you're going to have to play the Bucs twice. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I, I, I think just think that – I, ha- I hate it for Matt Ryan because I, I, I said this to Scott. I was like, if Matt Ryan – if there was a trade in the offseason that was like Matt Ryan for Jimmy Garoppolo – then I think the Niners would actually be considered because I do think there's, I've seen yeah. enough out of Matt right now. There were some bad throws with Matt Ryan, but that offensive line is awful. Cordero Patterson is his best running back. And yes, he's got Calvin Ridley, but you got a rookie tight end who could end up being great. I just think, you know, if Tom Brady and Matt Ryan were flipped in this game and they played quarterback for the other teams, I think the bucks, I think the outcome is probably relatively the same. There'd be this whole, you know, it's Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. But like, just the quarterback blind, you know, blind, not knowing who it was, just the player. I really do think it wouldn't be like, I, I don't think there'd be a huge difference. I really don't. I just think this Atlanta team is bit built poorly. And I think right now, I think Matt Ryan's in a tough spot. Uh, the next game on the four o'clock slate, I want to talk about Cowboys chargers. Good for the, you know, good for the Cowboys. It was a weird game, and it was the game that most accurately represented the theme that I struggled with the most in this this weekend, which was that I I really don't like dogging on refs. Like I really actively try to be like, look, if if you blame the refs, you shouldn't. You should blame your team. And I'm not saying that the refs handled this game one way or the other. The refs are to blame. There's thing, you know, Justin Herbert shouldn't have thrown a pick at the goal line somewhat. There's just such a in. I've never seen NFL refs be as inconsistent as they were on Sunday. You know, the Eagles Niners game, there wasn't a single offensive holding penalty called the entire game. Then you look at the Cowboys and Chargers and the disparity of how much more the refs were a part of that game versus the Niners and Eagles game, which there were plenty of holding calls in that game. They just called it differently they let them play more right and again just this inconsistency was so frustrating we saw it at the end of you know the the one that really pissed me off and it happened twice today which i've never seen before which was russell wilson and justin herbert both scrambling backwards trying to throw the ball away getting it out of bounds to save the down and the refs decided to call them down Basically, once they got touched by the defensive lineman and they ruled it as yeah. forward progress, even though it was very clear they were trying to get the ball away. And those both of those plays made really big impacts. The Russell Wilson one, by the way, was definitely a safety. And we'll get to that one in a little bit. But the one that happened on the goal line that then they got, you know, the Chargers got stuck instead of the ball being thrown out. And it was third and goal from the seven or eight yard line. It became, you know, third and goal from the 24 yard line. And that's, I guess, in the name of protecting quarterbacks, I just felt like this game, there were so many touchdowns that got taken off the board. The Jared Cook and Mike Williams uh, illegal shift call, you know, we didn't really get a good angle to see if that one was good or not. It just felt like the refs' fingerprints were all over it. And I said this to you before we started. Referees are at their best when they're like children at an adult party, which is that you don't hear from them the entire time. When you walk away from it going like, oh, yeah, the kids were great. They just played downstairs and hung out with each other. And we all sat up and had drinks and watched a movie or do whatever. That is when referees are at their best, when you don't hear from them at all once the game ends. I agree 100%. The thing that was the problem with this game and across Sunday, I think wider a little bit, it was 
like you're saying, the inconsistency, the taunting. I mean, I well, just, and that was what emphasized uh, it even more was that the taunting I mean, rule wasn't really a factor week one. It, and came, then it happened. It yeah, it was so huge because in this game against the Chargers, they had they hit Keenan Allen for a big one. Mm-hmm. And it was like he just got a big first down. And then all of a sudden he like stands up and they're walking away and he says something to him. And like, listen, I don't know what was said, but I'm an odds man. And I can tell you the odds are that all of these calls are not about what all these guys said. And like, it's not like week two, all of a sudden everyone got super angry and everyone started talking mad shit. No, this is an NFL directive. They talked about it. If you were watching, uh, they talked about it a couple times through the weekend about how this is, you know, they're trying to get taunting out of the game. Um, okay. Well, guess what? They're not mic'd up. You can't hear what they're saying. Do you not want them to look at each other after a play? Like, yeah. You're asking these guys to be the ultimate competitors and you don't want them to even scream like, yeah, at yeah. the guy who they just like beat physically, you know, like you're asking linemen to dominate another human being with like their will and soul. But if they like get excited after doing so, no, 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 no. We, we can't have you do that. Like yeah. that's not the game. As a pass rusher, the game is made. as a pass rusher, if you are an elite pass rusher, 17 sacks on a season, elite pass rusher, you average basically like 1% success like one yeah. to five percent like so and five really, it's being like, yeah. way too generous it's like literally like one to two percent for to, a guy that's elite and and to them like that matters like it's the difference between making you know 10 million dollars a year 20 million dollars a year and making two million dollars a year which we get yeah, getting it. cut champagne problems for the rest of us i get it but for them put yourself in that mindset like and then all of a sudden your sack gets now thrown away or, or the coaching staff yells at you or the GM says, Oh, we can't have him because he's a liability. Like it's, it's horrible. I hate it. I want to make an initiative that instead of the taunting rule, we call it the Mara rule. Cause this was the Mara family, the owner of the New York giants. And I want all the negative energy to be put to the New York giants. He and his but- wife were the ones that initiated this at the, they're the ones who wrote the proposal. They're the ones who got it through in the NFL. And we can blame all the owners for it, by the way, but he was, the, to, he was know, the birthplace of this. And you know, I really like the Maros two reasons. One, they're one of the oldest families in football. Um, they were one of the f- uh, like five original things around. That's why that's, that's why they wrote this rule. Yeah. But number two, you know, I really love them is the actress Kate Mara is their daughter. Um, and her sister's name is Rooney Mara. And actually the wife of Mara is a Rooney, the Steelers family. So this is, they are literally kids of football royalty and I love them, but now I hate their parents. Yeah. But their parents suck. So yeah. (laughs) But back to this game, football side of this game is, is I think there are things worth talking about. I do too. I think Tony Pollard to me is the story. Tony Pollard is getting less touches still than Zeke or less rushes. Um, I think he ended up with more touches probably because of receptions, but actually I don't know. I think it's about even Um, it is. And and he absolutely dominated 8.4 yards of carry. I mean, he showed up and I think without him, like I think if just Zeke's running the ball here, I don't know if they win this game. Mm -mm. No, I mean, he's, he's absolutely a weapon they can use. He can do stuff in the passing game. They used him on the nice little end around play to score the first touchdown. Uh, you know, Tony Pollard has proven himself to be a legitimate weapon. And frankly, in a lot of ways, definitely efficiency wise, he's he's better than Zeke or at least as good. And again, when you look at how much they're getting paid, this is why you don't pay running backs. If yeah. you're paying Tony Pollard probably like two million dollars a year and you're playing Zeke like 15 million dollars a year. But you're getting the same level of efficiency and production out of them and you're using them, like you said, in total 
Tony Pollard touched the ball 16 times. Zeke touched the ball 18 times. Yeah. It, it's, it's the exact same. The, the so, storyline for this, though, that I was impressed with the most was Brandon Staley. Because Brandon Staley, the defensive guru, the brilliant, you know, the Sean McVay of defense, the Kyle Shanahan of defenses, shut down a passing attack that had just lit up the defending national cha- uh, defending Super Bowl champions a week beforehand with three extra days to prepare for them and three extra days to, you know, because that was the thing. It's like, man, Dak threw the ball for because you're right. They, the Cowboys don't win without Tony Pollard running the ball the way that he did but they had to run the ball because they couldn't throw it because Brandon Staley was able to shut down a prolific passing attack. Well, yeah, he dared the team to do the right thing. And not to mention, think about this. Not only have they not been shut down or, or they went off this year, remember what Dak was doing before he got hurt last year? Like yeah. this team really, Dak hadn't been shut down like this in a really, really long time. So uh, it was a pretty impressive effort. This came down to the end, like you were saying. So if you're watching red zone, um, this was one of the field goals at the yeah. end of the game. And it was this one and then the Vikings kicking. And this was like a 52 yarder, I believe. Yeah, it was long. It was, it was like a long kick, 54 yards. Thank you. And um, they're both lining up at the same time. And I had a parlay on these games and it was a huge win for me. And I needed the Cowboys to win and the Vikings and the Cardinals to win. And thank God the Cowboys kick from 54 goes in the Vikings kick from 37 goes out. And I'm like, no fucking way. Here we go. But it was one of those crazy weekends where the, a couple of these games, like there were a couple of good games, not as many in the early window, like we said, then you get to the bucks and Falcons. Okay. It was close. Then the Cowboys chargers. Oh, last second game. And then we'll get into the Vikings Cardinals here. But then as you go on Titan Seahawks goes to overtime Ravens chiefs was elite. Like, this, this was a Sunday that built up momentum to its night game and had two of its biggest stars. So um, along the ride, I think right here, it was this game and these two field goals where it was like, oh, this day is going to be a fun one. You know, What a win. What a win, man. It's funny, too, because I, I leaned over to Scott and I looked up and I said, all right, so the, the Vikings have a 37-yard field goal to win, and I want the Vikings to win. No betting involved. I just I wanted the Vikings to win. I Because I said to Scott, I said, one of these two is going to make it, one of them is going to miss it. I said, I want the – I said – I want the Vikings to make it, the Cowboys to miss it. So naturally the Cowboys are going to make it and the Vikings are going to miss it. And then yeah. the second the ball was snapped, I said, I said, he shanked it. And then the Vikings kicker, you know, shanked yeah. it right after. But it, it was, a, it's a shame again, that the refs play as much of a role in it as they did, because I really thought that that, that game could have been electric. And, you know, the, Justin Herbert threw his first red zone interception of his career. had never thrown a red zone interception before through his first one at the goal line. The one touched a couple of touchdowns got wiped off the board. I just love watching Justin Herbert play. He's he's right now at, underneath Mahomes and Lamar and a couple of the guys at the top. He's he's I just love watching Justin Herbert play. He's he's so so good. He's so good, man. He's the perfect evolution of what we think of as a quote unquote pocket passer because the Tom Brady's and the Peyton Manning's they're not coming anymore. Those guys aren't going to be successful. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit with Tua. You need the guy to at least be a little bit mobile. And that's exactly what Herbert is. He's just a little bit mobile. He's a good athlete. He can pull it and run it for 20 yards, but he's not a running quarterback. And what he can do with his arm talent on the run, we're going to be, we're going to be seeing Justin Herbert you know, sling it across the field for, for years to come. Uh, mm-hmm. Other exciting quarterback, Card, uh, Cardinals, Kyler Murray. Electric first half, 
kind of puttered out there in the second half. The Vikings are just a confusing team. I, I, I just don't, I don't get it with them, man. I mean, you look at Dalvin Cook behind a good offensive line with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and you think, man, like that offense should be great. That offense should be awesome. They struggled to put up points against Cincinnati last week. And then in the second half against Arizona, despite going up against a really good defense, they couldn't get the job done when they needed to down the stretch for the second week in a row. And on the other side, the Cardinals are the, are the heart attack Kings, man. They, 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 them and the Seahawks are just these teams where it's like, Kyler's going to do some crazy Kyler shit. That's going to keep them in the game. And on the other side, you know, the defensive side of the ball, they didn't look as good this week as last week, but you look at the weapons that they have. And now they got this kid, KJ Osborne. Uh, it was a weird game. Uh, and of course, oh, yeah, if it's a weird, yeah. Well, and that's what the craziest part to me was you had KJ Osborne and Rondell Moore, these two young kids take over the storyline with all these weapons on both these Rondell offenses. Moore. Love him. Rondell Moore was electric in college. And if you didn't watch him, you saw the highlights, I'm sure. If you haven't, go look it up. Look at his college ones. They're worth watching at Purdue. It's really fun kid to you watch. Know how like I, when you watch old Percy Harvin highlights and you're like, I wish this was just more HD, watch yeah. Rondale Moore. <laughs> you, you know how high I was coming out of the draft, man. Like, yeah. I, I oh, loved yeah. Rondale Moore. I thought he was going to be a stud. My biggest concern with going to Arizona was he gonna, is he going to get the touches? And what they've I know. What, he's been so good. And I think he was just so good in camp. It's like, we, we got to give this dude touches. You can't not let this dude touch the ball. Yeah. And he's going to he become a- seven receptions for 114 yards and a touchdown, let alone, you know, return some kicks and punts. So yeah. he's just, he is. And, you know, I said, like uh, with uh, Demetric Felton kind of Sproles esque, he's, he's kind of that way too. Really undersized. I think he's only like five, six, five, seven, but just absolute electric factory from Rondell Moore. Plus, he makes Kyler Murray no longer the smallest guy on the team, which, which you know, is, is good to have your <laughs> quarterback. Now. Makes Kyler walk a little taller, right? Uh, the last <laughs> game of the 4 o'clock window, Tennessee and Seattle. Tennessee with, was down 14 points in the fourth quarter. Marched down the field. Derrick Henry doing a Derrick Henry run. I mean, I thought after last week, you know, man, maybe the, the little too much tread on the tires, not, not enough left here. And Derrick Henry just goes full tractor Cito and, uh, and took over this game in the second half. And as a running back in today's day and age, you know, we said, would you pay the only running back I would pay just like the only defensive player I would, I would pay is Aaron Donald. The only running back I would pay is, is Derrick Henry. Cause he's just, he's unique. And he also had six catches today, career, career high on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he had over 200 yards, like you said, with those six catches. He had 35 rushes, over 40 touches for him total. Um, and a lot of them in the fourth quarter, you just knew as you were watching every single thing, uh, like every single run he had, I'm sorry, and every single like block by the O-line was starting to just roll. Like it was everyone, one after the other, is more yards and just more dominance on the line. And you could just tell like, oh, just wears shit, them like, down, you know, man. Seattle can't stop him. Seattle can't without, stop him. You saw the moment Taylor switch. Lewan too. Lewan got pulled as a late scratch, hurt himself in the yeah. um, in the pregame warmups. And Derrick Henry, man, that's he's just a monster. And again, that comeback was was absolutely insane. Um, the Sunday night game. Now this this was uh, uh, that was a tie scare. I want everyone to know that went to overtime. Was yeah. a field goal. Um, me and my boys luckily did not have to. Uh, and go off and pop after the, the almost bottle, safety so, after the um, almost safety i you know, thought for we got, sure we got that one in our book 
I thought for sure we were heading towards a tie after Dude. Russell Wilson's getting chased back. Yeah. But if that play doesn't happen, he gets the ball away or whatever, the punt's a little bit better. You might have been in position for, for a tie there, Vito. You might have been in position for a tie. Um, I know. All right. The, they didn't run the ball enough. The clock didn't turn. The night yeah. game, dude. Yeah. The night game, Chiefs-Ravens Chiefs, Chiefs opens the game with the pick six. By far the best game, I, arguably, of the season we've had, and we've, we've seen some crazy ones. Lamar finally gets the monkey off his back, finally takes down the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, just like you were uh, jubilated by your kicks, I was – heartbroken i had a a, a parlay a low-risk parlay again just a couple of bucks that i'd thrown together that was like seven to ten i forgot how much it was it might have been like 10 buck bucks worth of of what i you know again because i'm right now i'm kind of playing with house money with with college football so i'm like i only bet on one game it was only the night games the only thing i bet on and i was like a seven dollar bet that was going to net out like 70 bucks because of the parlay and all i needed was the chiefs to to cover the three and a half and naturally, when it seemed like it was in hand, I mean, I had can I had Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown mixed in there, and then he breaks off that beast mode touchdown. I'm thinking, oh my god, this is it! Like we're Scotty and I are high fiving, we're going nuts, and uh, and I needed it for fantasy too because I was duking it out with our boy Kenny, and and I barely held on there at the end. But Lamar, he was just a one man show, and honestly, credit to the Ravens for all the injuries and everything they've dealt with. You know, I, I said this last week, when you have Lamar as a running back, the threat of him running is so scary and you have to think about it so much that it makes mediocre running backs turn into legit, like pro good running backs, which makes the Gus Edwards contract seem really dumb in hindsight, but they're pulling in Devonte Devante Freeman, who's been on the team for a week. Latavius Murray has been on the team for a week. And those guys had great games. Tyson Williams, who's a practice squad running back, having a great day. It was an unbelievable game, uh, despite the losing effort on my end from, from betting. Uh, good on the Ravens. Good on John Harbaugh. The balls to go for it on fourth down. But, like, you have to take that pick. Like, I felt like that kind of got blown out of proportion a little bit. I'm like, what, what else were they going to do? Of course they were going to go for it on fourth down. I don't, I mean, I would have obviously as well. I think just percent, like you just know, you don't want Mahomes to have the ball at the end of a game. Like I, you're just never going to want that. You go for it. You can win the game. I think there are some coaches in the NFL that would have punted though. And like, I'm really glad he did this. I'm also glad that the Ravens have an identity. Like this is the difference between a team that has an identity and doesn't the Ravens know they want to run the ball. They want to smash in the mouth. They, they're going to throw what's open. They're going to take their shots, which they did. You know, they had a couple misses. Lamar did. He had a couple of touchdowns. He overthrew Hollywood Brown. Like he had a couple. But at the end of the day, they know what they want that what they want to be, and that's how your practice squad running back can come up and average six yards a carry because yeah. everyone knows what you're doing. You're not trying to be something else when this player's out. I think a lot of teams need to look at this and realize like this is an identity, and that's why it matters. That's why when people say, "Oh, they don't have an identity," you're like. Yeah, but they're winning. It's like, well, this is why. When something happens, yeah. they can still respond and, and go off. But to be fair, though, your identity is having a, a truly uniquely special talent and getting Lamar well, in the first place. Now, believing in that you could do that is big, but Lamar's don't grow on trees, you know? No, but I think that's the offensive line in the style of like, you know what? We're going to run the ball a lot. So in the fourth quarter, you're worn down. And Lamar's going to go off on you guys, right? Like we're going to wear you out as much as we can. The Chiefs couldn't stop anything. I I just, I think Lamar is just so uniquely talented. He's the best running quarterback 
honestly, ever. Like, I know it's early to say that, but he's the best running quarterback in, in, in especially in modern football, like the Michael Vicks, the Randall Cunninghams. Like, you can go back to when everyone's running the triple option and maybe, you know, make arguments. But, like, for what Lamar's doing in the modern game to beat the Chiefs, to go score for score with the Chiefs when you're running the ball as much as you are, uh, he is he is the best running quarterback we've seen. And, and will he end up as the greatest of all time, you know, in terms of that running quarterback? Maybe not, you know, injuries and everything can kind of play into it. But, I also think Kyler has a chance. But Kyler I think doesn't we're seeing two run of the, best. the ball. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kyler, like, because Kyler only ran for, a, I mean, I say only, but I think he yeah. only ran for like 50 or 60 yards, like, Kyler would beat you with as many in the same game would his beat would beat you through <laughs> the air as much as he would be able to beat you on the ground. Lamar Jackson outside, you know, the broken coverage, which happens because of his ability as a runner. You know, Kyler's not a run first quarterback. No, you're right. I think he's a he's a scary scrambler. He's one of the most scary scramblers we've ever seen. Yeah, but you're right. Lamar no is question. the best running back running quarterback. 100 percent. 100 percent. It's. I mean, he's, he's over 3000 career rushing yards already. He's been, this yeah. is his fourth season in the league. I mean, like, what are we a lot, a lot of NFL, I'll put 80% of NFL running backs that have ever played the game have not gotten 3000 yards. No, no. <laughs> he is. He is just, you know, when, with, when running with Lamar, just like throwing with Mahomes, like throwing with Mahomes is the, as to use the word you did, I, it's their identity running with Lamar is the Ravens identity. And, mm-hmm. and they stayed true to that. They, they did. And the fact that they could go blow to both blow for blow with the chiefs offensively running the ball, like they did is a testament to how brilliant Lamar Jackson is, but also the, in, the way that the Ravens organization has embraced that as their identity to, to put it the way that you did. Uh, all right. That is NFL recaps. Uh, before we go, I do want to throw this in here. We're going we're gonna to do this like throughout the season. We're going to kind of keep logs on each week in that specific week. What's the one thing you were the most wrong about and like own up to it? You know, like, hey, I was just blatantly wrong about this. But we're also going to kind of do it throughout, you know, chunks of the season. So like week four, we're going to look back and be like, hey, we're four weeks in. What was I the most wrong about? And then we're going to kind of do it that way from a bigger picture. But I like going through each week. You can be gambling. It could be anything else. What were you most wrong about here in week one uh, or week two i should say uh for for the nfl for me it's definitely uh the steelers beating the raiders and i was so confident and i was like there's no way the raiders pull that off that emotional win and, and i was like there's no there's no chance they're going down there and and i was so confident in it um tied with james winston i think james is going to be either a high or low for me every week so uh He's got to be one or the other, and this week he he disproved me a little bit. So yeah. come on, James. Yeah, what about he'll, you? he'll he'll get better. He'll get better. The, oh, yeah. the, I think we'll see more positive weeks than negative for for James. Uh, for me, it's the Washington Football Team defense. Um, I came into this year being extremely extremely confident on the Washington Football Team defense, and so far through two weeks, we have not seen that. We have not seen the pressure up front. Chase Young, uh, despite making some big plays and having moments, has not been the guy down in and down out that we thought. The secondary is vulnerable. Uh, the, the linebacking crew is, is still kind of young. I thought they were going to come in and be, you know, top three defense in the NFL. And, and I mean, it's a long season. I believe Ron Rivera is, is a coach that's going to be able to coach him up. So, again, you know, come week four and five, I might look back on this take and say, hey, you know, you were actually right to begin with, but I was wrong 
you know, you're giving up 28 points, to Daniel Jones and that offense. Uh, I was, I was wrong about the Washington football team defense and, and we'll see if they're able to kind of turn it around here in the uh, second half of the season. Well, rest of the season, right? It, it, there's been so much football. I consume so much football. I, I just thought that the football season was halfway <laughs> over. That's, that's where we're at over here. All right, quick break. We're going to come back some uh, random life shit to close out the show and uh, send you on your way to the rest of the week. Random life shit. RLS. I don't love that abbreviation. We might need to oh, workshop either. titles a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. RSL would have sounded better, but we'll, we'll come up with something. Um, we love doing this at the end of the pod when we exhaust our brains talking football and everything else that we just like to sprinkle in a few things here at the end of the, the end of the pod that have nothing to do with, with sports. Maybe have a little bit to do, but you know, primarily are, are just, you know, straight up. We're just talking random stuff here. All right. You're not going to like me for this take, Vito. I, I can already tell because I've, okay. I've, I've okay. workshopped it. Now I'm interested. I've workshopped it with other people and everyone's like, dude, you're, you're just, what do you hate puppies too? I think Mr. Brightside has become played out. Man. Wow. This it's is a, uh, this is, I'm glad you brought this up. Let's, let's talk about this. Because it's, a, cause it's a great song, right? But it's every wedding, song. every you know, I've heard it's it's every tailgate, every, every everything that I've got every I just was hopping today and everywhere. Yeah, in the stadium, at the bars, no matter what, when you go out every night, if you're at a bar long enough, Mr. Brightside is coming on. Yeah, without a doubt. And it feels like almost like there's a legal requirement now where you have to be like, oh my god, Mr. Brightside's on, I got it, you know, and you like stop whatever you're doing and go like run out and start dancing coming out of my cage, you know, was, like again. Great song. If you want to yeah. go for a run, you want to have like it bumps. I get it. But the fact that it's it's it went from being like super fun song we heard when we were growing up, you know, song listened to in college, song I listened to going out to bars and stuff in my 20s to now it's just like it's it's too much. Here's here's my take on it. I actually don't have a problem with the song. Obviously, you don't either. No, um, we're not saying that. I'm not but saying it's a bad song. I, yeah, no, we, we I, we're definitely on the same page. I think where we differ a little bit is I, I get where you're coming from, but I think it's the people that are ruining the experience that you're saying are freaking out still. Like, guys, you know what? You've heard it a bunch. And if it's your favorite song, I don't care what it is. You can scream and go off. And yeah, it's probably more than, than not. Like in terms of a lot of people are probably doing that. But the problem is, is that when something gets overplayed, it's just because everyone else wants to love it and wants you to love it. And you're like, you know what? Like, I love it, but just relax. Like it's, it's all good. Mm -hmm. And that's been happening for a decade and a half with this song. Like that's how great it is. Is that's been, it's been on nonstop since we've been younger. Yeah. And like, I, I, you're right. I really do believe that like, it's one of those songs that people in our probably from your age to my age to a little older than us are like holding on to, like, it, it means something to you, but I think the certain people that go absolutely off every time it comes on, it's like, dude, if you go out any weekend, you're going to hear this. It's yeah. not like it's, it's like an old jam. And even then you're right. But like, you'll see groups of bros. Anytime that comes on after like midnight, we'll start jumping mm -hmm. guaranteed jumping will come involved. And it's like the overall hype of that song has gotten a little um, overdrawn and overplayed. Yeah. And 100%. I think we're also getting to the point where like, hopefully that calms down a little bit, but you're right. If you guys don't believe me when you're going out this weekend, 
go to the jukebox thing, the app, whatever, put on Mr. Brightside after midnight. And I guarantee you bros will jump and they won't give a shit about any girl in the bar. No, they, they, it's, it's, that makes people at least feel something. And maybe that's why everyone loves it, but everyone at least has that jumping feeling like, you know what, we're going to go off. You don't do it all the time, but watch bros will. So I, I, I tried to break this down analytically because naturally it's what I do. Right. And I'm like, and I tried to give it a comp and I was like, is this, you know, in that don't stop believing category, right? Of these songs that no matter how long it goes, everyone's going to sing it, everyone's going to jump. But I'm, I'm going to say no, because to me, don't stop believing is the, is the pinnacle of that. Because it's, it was an 80s song, it's still around, it still is the number one song in that list. Don't stop believing comes on, doesn't matter how old you are, it's just, you're going to go off and do it. But there's another song that I would say, even as recently as three to five years ago, was one of those songs that was a little later. It was a 90s song, but has since kind of not been at You'll still get the reaction, but not on the same level as it was five, 10 years ago. Living on a Prayer. Living you know, on a Prayer. Again, great song, but it had its that, that post mega hit shelf life of it goes on at the bar and everyone goes nuts and everyone's living on a prayer, right? It, it But now... When you go to not every wedding plays living on a prayer, not every bar you're going to hear living on a prayer. Right. I think Mr. Brightside is it needs to start to be pushed into that category. And timeline wise, living on a prayer is like late 80s, early 90s, I think. Right. Mr. Brightside. And then right again, right on 20 years is when that shelf life kind of expired. I think now Mr. Brightside, early 2000s has kind of 20 years we're starting to hit that point where it's just not it's not going to be the song that gets played at every single event ever and I, and honestly as much as i love the song it's too much of a good thing i need it i need it a few times less i need to hear it not at every wedding you know but it still is like a signature song to a lot of people it is and I, but i do think living on a prayer when you think stadium songs and everything same thing like i, I think living on a prayer in my opinion there's there's a point where it just becomes this thing that you'll listen to until a generation turns, you know? Yeah. And I think it's in that category. I think it's in the don't stop believing living on a prayer um, at a football stadium. Cause I'm a Penn state fan, sweet Caroline. Like there are just songs that everyone will like, if you're out somewhere and you're drunk and you hear it, you're going to start like singing or, or someone else might, but either way, like someone's going to have a good time with that song. Mr. Brightside, I think, has locked itself in that category forever. Like, you'll never go to a bar, put on Mr. Brightside, and, like, someone's going to be tapping their foot, nodding their head. Like, it's it's just an, a generational jam. Which which I think Mr. Brightside will hit, too. But, like, Sweet Caroline. That's what I'm saying. I think it's there. I think, no, I think Mr. Brightside is there more than some of those stadium songs, even. But, like, I think there's a, I think there's like a separation. Like, Sweet Caroline, Don't Stop Believing, I think are at a higher echelon than Living on a Prayer and where I want Mr. Brightside to be. But we're getting to that, that tipping point of, hey, is Mr. Brightside going to be one of those all-time generational songs that sticks around forever? Like, Sweet Caroline yeah, has it- the Red Sox side of it. It's got the, uh, the uh, Penn State ties to it. Like, yeah. there's sporting events that have specific- – it's same thing like Jump Around. Like jump around is always going to be really popular because it's got the Wisconsin ties to it. Right. But it's, it's a little bit different. Like I think Mr. Brightside doesn't have a a team or like a specific tradition tied to it. It's just a perennial, you know, 
power, you know, song. Yeah, it's a up. pro bowler. It's yeah. a it's a six-time pro bowler, but it's not a Hall of Famer, is what you're saying. Well, it's no, it's like I a ring say, of honor. I would say it's like a like an is Eli. It, I would say it's like an Eli Manning. Okay, okay. It's this like, is what we're talking about. Ha- now we're talking about right, so, you have the debate have the as Brady's, to whether or not it's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Don't stop yeah. believing is Tom Brady. Right. Right. Like right. don't stop believing, doesn't have any stadium specific ties or anything, but 50 years from now, people are all of our kids, all the kids from our generation, they're still going to know don't stop believing because it just has, it's just uniquely powerful in that way. It really just stick to people differently. But like, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brightside living on a prayer. Those are like your border, like Hall of Famers, but like maybe like lower end Hall of Famers, you know, like uh, the guy who has to wait a couple, like a Bill Cower. He's got to wait a couple of years and then you put him in, you know, like yeah. that's He's that's not first where, ballot. Yeah, exactly. You. Not first ballot yeah. Hall of Famers. But still, I think Mr. Brightside's a miss. I think Mr. Brightside's first ballot. I think it's it's one that's like this, though. Um, It's it's a newer one that didn't it's a Megatron where it was great for such a short period of time. Mm. And everyone who is everyone who is around to experience it firsthand will talk about it forever. Yeah. 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 And I think living on a prayer is more like a Terry Bradshaw where it was great for sure. Uh, a long time ago, and I think a lot of people forget what that's like. And like now you know for something song. else. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was badass during its phase, and then it became a stadium song, and now you know it for that. Like Terry Bradshaw, now you know for like his his announcing and commentating. Yeah. Like you don't know him for throwing a football and winning four Super Bowls. Again, Mr. Brightside, great song, but if I heard it one out of every three weddings and one out of every three or four times I went to a bar, which again I'm not going to bars these like dancing bars these days anyway. But like when you are going to them all the time, if it was like that, like you're getting it once every few times, it's it's way better. But anytime you go see like a cover band at a bar, that's like a dance kind of bar, but it's a band just playing songs. Mr. Brightside's always going to be on that list. Yep. And I think it does it not a disservice, but to me, it's made it like it just doesn't hit the same way as it once did. You know, you want to you know who my uh, Joe Brown of this category would be the greatest song of all time. What's that? I think September. September. I think no matter where or when you play that, no one's going off, but everyone's having a good time. And everyone's like, you know what? This song still slaps. Yeah. Well, that song's I mean, that song's a work of art. And then and then the best part of that, too, is like everyone has their own individual song that's like, you know, isn't that like maybe that's it for you. But like if I'm at a bar or a rest or somewhere and someone's like playing a song or a wedding and like born to run comes on or honestly the, the one that tops the charts, but like never gets played is the one my dad sang at my sister's wedding, Rosalita. If Rosalita, the spring scene song comes on, like mm-hmm. I will fangirl like a motherfucker. I will, I will have that same reaction, but it's that much more special when you only get it every once in a while. That's like me with T-Pain. T-Pain comes on a bar. Anyone who knows me, I'm going in. It's a, it's a change the night situation. All right, we've hit the T-Pain point of the conversation, <laughs> which I think is a good, a good time to wrap it up. Oh, you know what? I have one last thing I need to swing by you for random life shit. Because I could, we could save it, but I want to get your thought now, and then we'll ask Scotty again later. I know we're going long here, but, you know, fuck it. So I'm going up to uh, the Jersey Shore this weekend. Okay. And I'm driving up Wednesday. So we're going to record this pod on uh, Wednesday night. Hopefully that's, that's going to be the goal. I'm hoping to try to get everyone there, but in case you can't, that's why I want to ask you now. I'm doing my first like college reunion 
with people I haven't seen in a really, really long time. And we got to I'm fist pumping aggressively hard right now. You guys can't see me, but man, I am stoked for Jeff right now. I I wish that could be a gift. So I am beyond excited. We got people flying in from Nashville. We got people flying in from Miami. We got people flying in from Austin. So we are all over the map. I about half the people coming I have not seen like since we graduated. I want this. So like we're obviously going to get drunk and have a good time. But some of these people I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm really excited to see them. Your advice on balancing the, hey, college friends, we all want to get kind of drunk and have a good time, because it's guys and girls, too. So it's not like it's just like all bros weekend, get hammered the whole weekend. How do you, what, what's the best way to manage that as someone when you're fine, when you're with the whole crew again? Not just like, oh, you see one buddy or a couple of people. When you see the whole crew again, and, and I'm kind of hosting it, What's the best way to go about kind of doing it? And do I have precedent to give a, a, a toast, like a speech? Because I kind of want to give a toast in a speech. All right. Two great questions. Um, one, be ready. Do not let the alcohol run out. You think that you're not going to drink that much. It's going to be everyone wanting to be like, you know what? Yeah, we're going to get after it. Let me tell you, I haven't been to a full reunion like that where it hasn't gotten aggressive in a great way. Um, I would not worry a second about anything. Everyone's going to go off. The difference between when you first start getting together after college, right? Everyone remember this, like in college, we, we drank and we ate shit, right? Like, and just this, this like quality of life that we live, no matter what, when you graduate college takes some kind of step up. And so over those years, as you step up and up, like things change a little bit. Um, But at the same time, it's your best friends from like the best part of your life. So don't worry. Like I've never had an issue connecting with anyone I was best friends with in college. Like, you know, that person as an adult, right. You know, when you hit a high school friend and you're like, Oh yeah. But like, um, luckily for me, like I've stayed friends with a lot of them through, but there are guys I catch up with and it's like, we just don't know each other anymore. You know? Yeah. you still know who that college friend is. You're going to be fine. And also yeah, keep the alcohol flowing and you can definitely give a speech. What I would, what I would suggest is like, wait until the last night you're together and just like, you know, what, great to get together. One of those, but, oh, like, last quicker, but good. Yeah. You know, I, I was, wanna, I was thinking you want to lead off. Well, so okay. the, the way it's working out, so I'm, I'm going up, I'm driving up Wednesday afternoon. I have to work Wednesday afternoon. I'm working remotely Thursday morning. And then I have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. I'm coming back Sunday. So we have people, we have like half the people coming in Thursday night and then uh, like one or two other people coming in on Friday. So my thought was the first night that we get everybody together and we're all there do like a two minute, like toast speech slash toast, you know, kind of shot together. You know what I mean? I, I almost would keep, I'll put it this way. What I would do, and this isn't right. Not saying that, but I would do is do almost like a one minute roast to get everyone back in the college mood. Like a quick, like go around the room, just a quick like nugget that everyone knows some inside story. That's like, and don't, don't make it too embarrassing for anybody. Don't make it. Remember too, when like, you two hooked up, that was weird. Yeah. Right. Like you don't want to say that, but like it is without a doubt, something like uh, about that, just getting, getting a, a joke or two in there about the crew or like some crazy experience you guys had. That would be good to throw out there. And then, and then give that toast. Yeah. I then get into like a serious point, but l- make sure everyone gets back in that college mode and has a good time yeah 
Well, my plan is to be a little, a little self-deprecating at this because the thing is, is like I'm the nostalgic guy in the group. I'm the guy who like cried moving out freshman year. You know, not like ball, but like got tears in the eyes and they've never yeah. let me live it down. I'm yeah. the guy who like I'm pick so I'm driving up and then I'm driving from because it's only about like an hour from the house to like the Philly airport. So I'm gonna leave on Wednesday on Thursday after I'm done working, pick up people at the airport. Again, one of which I haven't seen in three years. I'm gonna ball when I see her. Like I just know like some of those things are gonna happen. So I feel I'm gonna go a little, I think, a little like self-deprecating at first, being like, hey, I know you guys <laughs> definitely don't want me to do a speech, but like you guys know me, so I'm gonna do a speech and you know, I'm hosting, so just kind of deal with it. Uh, but yeah, we're we're going to be prepared. I wish I'd put a disclaimer for uh, my 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 parents to have not listened to the intro of that because I think my mom's a little bit worried because it is their beach house and we are. Uh, they're being kind enough to let us, you know, take over the place. But I promise, mom, we will be taking care of the place. That's I'm but very. See, that's the best part about doing the college friend thing later on in life. You're all a little bored. Better. It's not going to go as and crazy. It's, and I it's think without a doubt, okay. Yeah. I think there's a universal belief that we all want to remember the weekend as much as possible, right? Like we don't yeah, want to. We don't want to be no, blacking yeah. out. Like we're going to sit on no. the beach and day drink a little bit, and then we're going to do some grilling and you know. Yeah, you're just going to be. It's one of those weekends where you're going to drink like a total of 20 light beers over two days, but never yeah. blacked out. Yeah. You're going to be fine. And we're in, we're in a small, we're in a small beach town, man. Like there's no yeah. real going out options or, and it's, out no, of you don't want to anyway. anyway. No. Yeah. You, we're just going to be, you don't want to go out. We might yeah. go do one dinner. There's a yeah. nice no, restaurant. Like close, you don't like go, to you don't go out and listen to music too loud or anything. Just hang out with yourselves, reminisce and, and connect and see, see how things are going. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm glad I snuck that in. Uh, thank you again, buddy. I love you. Uh, love appreciate you, you coming on. We will be back later in the week uh, and we'll, we'll talk more again. We'll hopefully going to record Wednesday night. And so that way I don't have to worry about that when I'm up there and everything, but we'll get it done one way or the other. Appreciate you as always check us out at Redoption pod on all social medias. And we'll talk to y'all then take it easy, everybody.